Welcome to David Bradley Show with your host, David Bradley. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing today? We are back with Omada Films. Um, our first little show got all kind of hijacked and screwed up and everything else because of the audio, which you would think somebody that used to be in audio would have fixed, but we've got it fixed now. So It happens. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, man. Uh, I'm glad y'all came back. Oh, it was fun, yeah. yeah. It's it's nice to have friends that actually come back. <laughs> <laughs> We're gluttons. We come back for more. Oh, Lord. Man, I love these cups. This dude did a good job. Yeah, he did. He did. He's a good man. He's and I love his sign, man. Our merch. We have merch. This yeah, the, everybody, merch, right? everybody's got merch now. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going to get my little side up and everybody can start getting stuff. Mm-hmm. I might add some stuff. I don't know. But it's pretty cool. <laughs> very cool all right so omada films is with us today and we've got thomas marino and jason cunningham kind of uh indie type guys out of nashville doing some movies and some uh y'all did some short films and just having all kinds of fun i guess we're trying yes, sir. <laughs> all right um now, the last time y'all was here, we were talking about These Streets We Haunt, which is the major movie that y'all came out with. And all that was off the books. And then I went online after y'all left and was looking up. And it's pretty cool. Y'all got those books on Amazon, all of them, mm-hmm. from the uh, Lamp. The Lamp series, that's right. right. Yeah. How long did it take you to write them? Uh, the first book came out 2012, and I think uh, it's a four-book fantasy series, and the last mm. book came out in 2015. Say, so, I ain't got patience to write like that. It, it takes a bit of patience, too, especially when you do a series, because going into it, if the first book flops, you don't have the rest of them, you know? And so yeah. I had to kind of um, put a lot of hope in that first book, and it did well. So I was able to write you know, the other three. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm probably going to buy them cause I like them. Good. I hope you do. Cause I like the movie so much, but how did y'all get started? I mean, last time we talked about y'all two, how y'all met, which I thought it was a funny story. And then it got all screwed up in the audio. We right. can retell it. As yeah. Well. I mean, yeah. I mean, if y'all want to, yeah, it'd be great. I'm sure a lot of people will be like, Hmm. Oh, <laughs> uh, Thomas, you want to, Talk about it. You've told this story so many times, so many you times. might be tired He's of actually it, getting good at but, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably like, getting the hang of it here now. I like hearing it still. So. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, it's the truth, so it's not a, uh, not a problem reiterating. Um, I don't know exactly what year, but I'm going to guesstimate about 2004. Does that sound right? Uh, roughly, yeah. Okay. About 2004, um, Jason and I met at a, um, it was a kind of a men's, cell group through a church that uh, he and it I sounds like a cult it was a it was a it Bible study did. group at a starbucks yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh we met at this bible study group at starbucks and um i don't know we just kind of hit it off and we did a lot of talking um nothing nothing specific just kind of all over the map and uh, it was, was, I guess, funny about it is the fact that Jason was probably, what, 22, 23, maybe? 
uh, let's see, if this was 2004, I was 25. Oh, okay. But you always think I'm younger than I am. I do. He, he I still do. calls me a kid, and I'm 44. Yeah, he still looks good. Yeah, but he don't even look that old. I mean, he's just, he's like an eternal light here on him. I mean, he's just. You're so kind. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So he was 40 or 20, 23, you said? 25. 25. 25. 25. It's straight. Yeah. And I was, um, I think, 47 at the time. So again, we, we had a nice conversation and kind of parted company. Now we did exchange info. Right. So he had my number and so forth. I had his. Uh, several months later that I recall, Jason called me up and essentially asked me if I remembered him. And I said, yeah, yeah, I sure do. And uh, I think what, what stuck in my mind about Jason was he was, for a young man, he was very intelligent. He was extremely articulate, um, just very knowledgeable, um, not only from a biblical stance and, and so forth, but just overall. Right. And I was impressed. I mean, I just have to admit I was impressed. Um, and so when he called me, uh, we kind of talked and, you know, I wasn't sure what his motives were, but... Uh, he basically said that uh, as a result of us talking and meeting, uh, he was working on a film project and he said he liked my personality. He said, you know, I like your character. I like you know, who you are. He said, and as a result, I wrote a part in my film that I believe, you know, you could you could play. Now, was that back when you was doing uh, you hadn't even done any shorts yet, have you? I done one at this point. And Thomas, I think, had one acting class. Right. I had so. actually three acting oh, classes. Oh, well, yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah, come on now. Um, that's that's the thing is is when he, you know, mentioned that I th I thought to myself, well, he said, he said I heard through the grapevine that you're an actor, and I said, look, you know, I don't want to lie to this kid, right? I, so I told him, I said, look, in all honesty, full disclosure, I took three lessons and I quit, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, I said, so an actor, I'm not. Um, at any rate, he uh, he still, you know, proceeded to talk about the, the role, and I, you know, he didn't get real specific, but I was curious, and I thought, well, I'm not going to do the part because I'm not an actor, but I'm curious what, what he had in mind. So uh, he said, being that you're from New York, he said, it's right up your alley. And I said, excuse me, I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. Same difference. <laughs> A little bit of a difference there. Yeah, but you got that New York uh, attitude kind of coming uh, across every now and then. Maybe so. But I think <laughs> mostly to just Southern folks, you know, not not a slam, but just kind of, you know, they hear the kind of East Coast thing and they think yeah. New York. No, I think Italian in New York. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. New York Italian. Okay. I, I, guilty. I'm a PA <laughs> Italian, whatever. Well, I mean, the Italian kind of side of you, I mean, you do talk with your hands yeah, a lot. Yeah, like, and a lot myself. of Southern people do that. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't think people are all that much different. It's, it's more about the, the, uh, infliction in the voice and, you know, the cadence and so attitude. It's the attitude. Yeah. You've got to have the attitude. So anyway, the bottom line was, I, I was still curious. He, and he said, well, he said, being that you're from New York, I think it's right up your alley. And then I tell him I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. And I said, but what was the part? And he said, a, uh, a car thief from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of thought I'm going to play with them a little bit. I said, Oh, I get it. Cause I'm Italian. All of a sudden I'm a friggin' thief, huh? Yeah. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm, I, I said, no, nah, I'm just messing with you. I, I'm just teasing. Okay. I said, uh, I said, that's interesting. I said, you know, I suppose 
I could be a freaking Kati from Brooklyn if you really want me to. You know? Right, right. And so the bottom line was he cast me in the role. I did the role. And I, I, I fell in love with this guy. I mean, it, it sounds weird maybe. I don't know. But I just, I just something about him, I thought, I want to help this guy. And I want to partner with him. He's, he's a young man. He's got ambition. He's got drive. He's got talent. I want to be, you know, do something of value in his life. Right, right. right. So I asked him after we got done shooting, I said, hey, so is there anything you need? He said, I I'd said, oh, I'd have qualified. Uh, first off, I'm nobody, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm a truck driver. I, I don't not you know, money bags, nothing. I said, but if I can help you in any way, I would love to do it. What, what can I do for you? Well, you do have a talent for that. Well, I didn't realize it at the time. You have to understand, I just had a desire. Yeah. Didn't really realize that it was a thing, okay? So, um, he started explaining a couple of things, but well, naturally money, right? He needed an actor for a specific role. And, um, what he wrote you into, uh, well, no, this was uh, another guy, another actor that I knew Okay, that I brought him on board. And at the time she wasn't my wife, but she was my bookkeeper. Um, I brought her on board to kind of help with the business side because right. Jason, you know, very creative guy, but not so much in the business area. And I saw that, well, you know, we'll do what we can do to help. Anyway, the long and the short of it was within, I guess, three weeks, maybe a month, uh, kind of, you know, brought these things to the table and he was ecstatic. And he said, you know, he said, you've done more in like three weeks than I've been able to accomplish. And he had, he did have a kind of a quasi partner at the time. Really nice guy. Um, what was his name? I can't remember his first name. Let's not. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah he was a nice guy. That. He was really a nice guy though. And he said, but the bottom line is we, we, you know, what you've done in three weeks has been, you know, impressive. And, uh, so I thought, Oh, well, okay. That's, that's nice. And he said, uh, would you consider being my business partner? <laughs> and I said, Jason, you're a nice kid, but <laughs> I'm, I'm a truck driver. Okay. I don't know anything about, you know, motion pictures. I said, you know, business. Yeah. I got a few things on the side I do and so forth, but, uh, Oh no, driving a truck. We know everything we about do. everything. That's true. I, I mean. forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> any truck driver you ever met, he knows everything, you know, but anyway, so, uh, uh, we, I guess we basically came to the point where I thought, well, you know, he did say something that impressed me because I told him, I really don't have a background in that. Don't know anything about making film, but he looked at me very confident and he said, look, I can teach you how to make film. Yeah. What I can't teach is what you do. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean what I do? He said, what you do naturally. He said, you're an executive producer. I said, what's that? And he proceeded to explain, you know, that this is a guy or gal that brings people to the table, brings money, resources, and helps get a project, you know, rolling. And so I thought, well, you know, if, if he's willing to teach this old guy how to do this thing, I'm willing to learn. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's something I've noticed, mm -hmm. even just going through the process that I'm going through. I've been learning a lot, and from talking to you and, and a couple of times me and Jason has talked about stuff, uh, it is really amazing where you've got to start. You, you can't just jump into something with both feet. I mean, right. you've got to have an actual plan. You've got to have somebody that can – work certain avenues of it and then you've got to be able to follow through with your avenues and i mean it's it's a lot of time consuming and just getting something up and going it is it's kind of like um we've got our first feature film under our belt it's been streaming on uh currently what four or five different platforms yeah i think uh, when i looked it up it was on uh let's see amazon and 
we're on Tubi. Um, yeah, there's Google Tubi. Play. YouTube Play. is getting us a lot of traction right now, which mm-hmm. is a platform I didn't have a lot of confidence in yeah. when uh, when our distributor first wanted to put us up there. Um, it just it's not a prestige platform, you know, like maybe some of the others are. But we've actually found an audience there, and we have like a quarter of a million views um, just yeah. on YouTube. Well, that's something I've noticed. I mean, I've talked to especially a lot of the younger generation where we used to do cable TV. These guys are just doing Internet, and they're wearing out YouTube. And there's all kinds of platforms that they're hitting, and just they just live on the daggum stuff all day long. It's amazing to me. Right. Well, along with that thought of um, how the process works, mm-hmm. here we are, give or take, what, 16 years later, and uh, we've got our first feature, so we're like overnight success. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. only taken 16 years. It's yeah. worth noting, though, that when we first started, this was in the mid-2000s, and the technology was so different back then. Oh, God, yes. Uh, we were talking about when we were budgeting our first um feature, which I think was called Charlie Plum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a screenplay, um, we had some producers attached, um, but we were still, we had line items for 35 millimeter film. Oh um, yeah. For, I mean, it's just a completely different world. When we made streets, you know, we were shooting on technology that didn't exist until just a few years before that. Right. And technology has been a huge boon to, um, actually getting stuff made. Whereas the biggest hurdle we had in the early two thousands was fundraising because the smallest indie drama back then would have cost like 250,000. Well, everything was done on 35 millimeter, right? 35 or 16. Yeah. And then they did film was, was on 16. I think there was, well, they went through that phase where a lot of it was on eight millimeter and then they went to the bigger stuff, the 35 millimeter. And yeah, I mean, I think, 16 was really big in the in the 70s, yeah. indie stuff. Um, it still is. I mean, people still shoot on 16 um, just for the aesthetic of it. Right. Um, and there's people who shoot on like a red camera and then try to degrade the footage to look like 16 <laughs> because there's an aesthetic that works for some stories. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, so much has changed when it comes to just what you do as a production company because in the, in the 2000s we were fundraising the whole time. Right. And so if you, if you look at our history and you say, okay, they've been around for 15, 16 years and they've made one feature film. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason is because we spent most of that time pitching and writing and well, developing things. Not that to were, mention you had a job and I have a job, you know, so we've, yeah, we've always been just yeah. these kind of working stiffs who mm-hmm. moonlight as creative people, you know, and yeah. it takes some of the pressure off in a way because you, you know, your, your livelihood doesn't depend on you getting a film made. Right. Right. I mean, you, you've got that income coming in. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And we actually enjoy what we're doing because there's not a lot of pressure. I mean, there, there's innate pressures that occur, but certainly not necessarily monetary pressures that, you know, you're worried about paying your mortgage or whatever. Yeah. And, and pitching a movie too. I mean, God, I remember you'd say things about, okay, this movie is going to come out but they would pitch that movie for a year or two years before the thing ever even went into production. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I think we, we had a budget 
with Charlie Plum of what was it like a couple million dollars or something? I think our lowest was was around uh, half a million. Yeah, and that yeah. was that was pretty bare bones. And of course, that shooting on thirty five with a full uh, crew, kind of a Hollywood style uh, production. And that's a big right. production. Oh, it's a that's huge a production, production for independence, yeah. especially when we've learned uh, since then that you don't always get paid when you do a film. <laughs> this is something we could spend a lot of time yeah, yeah. talking about. Yeah, you think you make a film, you're going to become a multimillionaire or something. I mean, we didn't have delusions that way, but the point is you think you're going to get some kind of revenue stream. Thankfully, we've got a revenue stream with, with our film that we have out, but generally with what we had previously done, there was no, I wouldn't say there wasn't a market for it, but it was just, uh, well, it was short form content. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you don't really make short films in order to, uh, make money. It, yeah. It doesn't, it, it doesn't know. work that way. Yeah. We did screeners. We did short films for the possibility of showing somebody that this is what we have in mind that for was, a feature. Yeah. Right. That was a decent chunk of what we were producing actually was mm-hmm. we would take, a a full uh feature screenplay and then we would say okay how do we turn this into like a five minute uh short film that kind of gives the idea of the larger project um and we shot a few of those um i shot the last one i did was like in 2016 and we call those a proof of concept and that's generally when people are too busy to read your script uh, but they'll sit down for five minutes and watch a clip you know and so that was that was the idea and those are much easier to produce. And it's just a visual thing you can show people to say, this is the idea we're trying to, to pull off. Right. Um, just imagine a bigger version of this. Well, that's what they do in the big movies too, don't they? Don't they do like a little, well, kind of like a, I guess, a preview yeah, of not, it? And not necessarily unlike a, um, a demo right. music biz. Okay. Well, that's yeah, because exactly you got to put up. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what it is. You put um, together that whole four-track demo and you yeah. get it out there and you shop it around to everybody exactly. and they all laugh about it and don't even listen to it. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I will say we never had any success, um, funding those larger projects yeah. through shooting the proof of concept. We got, I mean, we got into rooms and we pitched people, but it wasn't, nothing ever came of it. Yeah. Right. And, so, and who knows what it was, you know, was it the fact that, uh, they looked at us and we were just a bunch of nobodies, or, you know, you don't know, they don't ever tell you exactly why they decline or, you know, sometimes they do. Well, sometimes you wish they didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We did have one at Starbucks, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, he was pretty yeah. blatant. Yeah, God. Well, I can him. imagine. You know, I mean, a lot of them would be like, "Oh, well, they've got no money to do this, so yeah, well, go away." When you, you know? think about the kind of money that's involved, and you're talking to somebody across the table from you, going, "Yeah, you know, I'm worth two million five to take oh, a yeah. shot on something you may not get a return on." I mean, yeah, you need me to sign something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, here you yeah. go. Right, I'll give you nothing that I got. you know and and and, but again so that's the beauty of what's transpired over the last 16 years that we finally came to the place in our in our uh, craft if you will that uh you know jason had a story and he was sold on it completely and i uh kind of threw a fleece out to him and said okay if you're really you know all that hip on this thing come on over to my house and sell it to me because I read the script. And quite honestly, I wasn't, uh, now this I wasn't was, on board. Uh, yeah. J- the setup to this is though, that we were talking about self-funding a project where he and I would kind of go in as partners and fund the movie ourselves. Right. So I ended up pitching him, which was a new experience because it was usually <laughs> he and I together going into, a, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the self-funding thing, right. 
so what happened on that prior to the pitch was we talked and I said, you know, at this point in our lives, I can see not nobody's going to hand us a million bucks. Okay. Just well, like no. do a movie. I wish they would me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so we've seen that and we've been down that road. So what are we going to do? We've got a problem here that we don't really have a resolution to if we're going to reach out to somebody else. Why not consider the possibility of putting our own skin in the game? I said, you know, the fact of the matter is, how can we expect anybody to believe in us if we don't believe in ourselves enough to put our own money in the game? Well, and, yeah. and that's where, you know, we both talked about it and we both came to the agreement after speaking to both of our wives and we decided, yeah. Uh, but again, I asked him to come pitch it to me because I wasn't feeling it. And uh, he did. I got on board. We got motivated. And uh, I think that was a two hour pitch, too. It was, a, it was there for <laughs> least, a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when I write a check as big as that check was, for me, it was a lot of money. Well, yeah. You know, I don't have deep pockets like Jason here. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. <laughs> but the point was, it's, it was just like, yeah, this is a lot of money. And the other thing we had to convince both our wives is we're going to lay this cash out, but the ROI on this thing may be zipperoo so donut hole are we willing to do that and my wife looked at me and said yeah we did that with uh, family members so yeah no big deal right you give them the money and you know you're not getting it back so yeah yeah it's like going to the wife and going honey i need a bass boat yeah exactly (laughs) right yeah that's crazy. Mm -hmm. i think a bass boat costs more than we spent on the whole movie it was still a a pretty small budget when you compare it to um so-called indies that are out there that have three million dollar budgets and they're still lumped in with movies like ours you know which we made for like 30 grand yeah. so but they got to do the same process that y'all go through every time right you got to go out you got to pitch the idea sell it get investors well we, we we've talked about that we've tried to determine from other filmmakers how are they getting their funding and we actually had a great conversation with a local filmmaker and he spent like three hours with us and uh, he's got a totally unique bent on this whole process uh truthfully it's probably not something that jason or i could could uh, you know make manifest but i don't know you got that panache man yeah. i mean you could do it so far this panache has gotten me nothing <laughs> uh, in all the pitching we've done but and, and it got okay. these streets come on no I no mean, no that's it, a good movie but we did it on our own is what yeah. i'm saying it going out and trying to pitch no forget it and i like it better this way i really do I don't, I don't feel bad about risking my own money. I feel bad about risking your money. Right. That would bother me. Okay. Uh, you know, unless you got deep pockets, I got a friend of mine had a film, um, that he had produced the documentary and, uh, it was just shy of a million dollar film. And he the had, budget what, was, was a million. Yeah. yeah the, he had what? Two investors on that film. I think, I think one guy, one guy. Okay. Uh, wow. laid out the money and, and literally fed and supported him my, my filmmaker friend for eight years about eight years yeah. and then uh, finally the film got released but my my point is is that in his case because the guy was a multi-millionaire he didn't have any issues with regard to the fact that the guy made next to nothing off the film in fact i'm not bragging just saying i've got that film I've got the rights to Tom, it. Thomas I'm, is the sole distributor. I'm the sole distributor in, in the world. <laughs> oh, and, wow. um, one of the stars of the film is the, the now famous Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci. Yeah. 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 Oh, He's Lord. in the film. Yeah. It, it's funny because after the film had run its course in the eyes of the uh, investors, right. 
they just said, uh, you know, we're just divesting ourselves of it. I mean, we're walking away. And so I looked at my buddy. I said, well, what are you going to do with the film? Me, you know, I'm always looking for an opportunity, right? Oh, yeah. And um, he said, I don't know. I said, well, why don't we sell it? You know, and he goes, oh, we're, how are we going to do that? And I said, well, at the time I had a nutrition company on the web. I said, I'll put it on my nutrition site. I had an Amazon.com store at the time. I said, I'll put it on there. I said, we'll see what we can do. Okay. So without getting into a lot of details, I'm, I'm wanting to give him, you know, say, well, we'll do a, a, you know, 70, 30 split. You get 70, I get 30. This kid is a good guy. He looked at me and said, no, I ain't doing it. I said, well, you want more? I'll give you more. No, he says 50, 50 or nothing. I said, I did nothing. You know, we did do a little work on the film, right? Both Jason and myself, yeah. but, but it wasn't, you know, 50, 50 worth of, you know, stuff. Anyway. He, we entered into an agreement five years after five years, he's out of the picture and I got the film. So I've been selling it since 2010. Yeah. He's still, he still sells it. I too. still sell it. Yeah. People still yeah. buy that film. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, you know, pretty lucrative for me and I, I didn't invest a nickel in the thing. So that was a documentary. So y'all just did a little bit on it and then, yeah. and it was a documentary. Yeah. It was a documentary. Well, on what's HIV, the name of it? On HIV AIDS. It's called, uh, it's called house of numbers. House of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think you gave me that. I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about world renowned, uh, uh, scientists. I mean, this kid went around the world twice to film this. Wow. He was, I mean, literally the, the biggest, you know, without dropping names like, uh, uh what's his name there in, in France? Uh, Montigny. 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 Yeah. You know, Montigny says on screen. Now remember without getting into a big to do. Hang on, hang on, hang on. He might. If this goes up on YouTube, it might get demonetized if you talk about this. Oh, okay. Well, then, then watch we'll just the movie. Just forget. watch the movie. Yeah, watch yeah the just movie. watch the movie. Check it out. It's on Amazon.com, House of Numbers, and I'll get it shipped to you, you know, anywhere in the continental U.S. I used to ship all over the world, but it got to be a pain with, uh, you know, different customs documents and whatever. Yeah. So I just ship in the U.S. now. But, yeah, it's a great little film. I mean, heck, there's... You notice how he just walks into stuff? Just, it, it just... yeah. It's natural to him. Well, you know, I think I got my head on swivel all the time. And, and you got to understand, mm -hmm. I'm not always looking for something for me. Right. I'm looking for something for we. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that deal with my friend, I said, what can we do to, to you know, do something with this film? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I lost my train. But the, the point I guess I'm making is, is that, uh, you know, there was an opportunity. I seized it the best i could is it making me a millionaire no but it, it's getting his film out and and uh, and it's helping omada films getting a little bit of yeah it's, funding it's and right yeah it's something. it's something to do with right. it right gives us exposure anyway and, yeah um, and that's what we want right i like the books yeah the books are cool they really are I'm gonna fact, get if, them. You, if you play your cards right you can get an autographed copy well, yeah. That, <laughs> technically that will devalue the book but i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll do it despite that right so you got the books out there and y'all got together. You did that one movie. What was that one movie that you had to part in? Oh, the, uh, introverts anonymous. Yeah. That's the one I seen uh, yeah. the little shorts that you showed me. Yeah. Actually I'm in virtually every film that we've done. No, really? Cheap. Yeah. I work really cheap. Um, <laughs> not that I'm a good actor. I just work cheap, but, oh. uh, but introverts was a lot of fun. Yeah. Why don't you tell them how that even, yeah. What was, what was your thought process on that? I mean, I, I want to know about, from the start to you close the can done ready to put it up for that one was a little bit different because um 
that was a gap project, which is we had a, um, that's got nothing to do with the books. This is totally separate from yes. everything. Right, right. Okay. Um, we'd wanted to, I, I'd written a screenplay and put it together, a, a team to go make that film, to go raise funny funds for that movie. Um, but we wanted to kind of see if this team could collaborate and actually bring something to life. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's do a short project and see if we can get through that first. And if we can as a team, um, because Thomas and I work together, but we also bring other people on, right. um, crew members, cast, things like that. And you want to see if you click with people before you get into the trenches because then it's too late. So uh, I wrote a script called Introverts Anonymous that was kind of in the same tone as uh, that feature project. Right. And just to kind of get a sense of things, like, okay, can can these actors be used? Um, the crew and their sensibilities, is this all working, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, it was, a, it was a, an experimental project or a gap project to try to get to that larger thing. And introverts anonymous. I'm very introverted. Um, I as am get, I. Well, we're different kinds of introverts, perhaps. But <laughs> I'm sure there's different levels on all perhaps. that. Perhaps. I mean, because yeah. you, you you come across happy go lucky a lot of times. Yeah, but I'm actually introverted yeah. as well. I can and Jason, Jason's more. Outgoing. He's pulled back a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, smart guys are like that. <laughs> well, no. It's, but yeah, so I understood that world really well, and I wanted to write a character that I thought embodied that right. in a way. Um, I ended up getting some criticism on the film uh, from people who said, well, introverts don't really act the way this character acts. You know, there's some introverts, like a Barack Obama said he's an introvert. Yeah. But he's a great speaker. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, an introvert is really somebody who it gets energy from being alone. Um, they get depleted more often than, than an extrovert when they're in a room full of people right. or crowded places. Um, so that's really what defines an introvert. And the character I wrote was a little more of somebody with social anxiety. Um, so I got some flack for that from introverts saying, that's <laughs> not really us. We're not like that, you know? Um, well, that's like anything you put on the internet now. Everybody's got a freaking opinion yeah, about everybody's it. Everybody's a right. critic, that's true. That's true. Never read the comments. Yeah. Is the idea. No. <laughs> Which I don't I don't obey that rule at all. But no. um I, I did stop though. You get to a certain point where it's hundreds of comments on something and you're like, okay, I'm out. I, I get a sense of things at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't need any more input from, from strangers. Yeah, my daughter calls them uh, um Oh shoot, what was it she said? It was some kind of fight. She was always in a fight on something. Yeah. And I, I was curious, and I just asked her, and she's like, well, they make comments. I've got to try and, you know, give my perspective on it. And, no, this is not what we were thinking. This is not what I was doing. This is what my thought was on it. And then she's getting attacked for stuff. And I didn't realize how big of a problem it was. And then I'm talking to other people, and they're like, ah, I'm getting off Facebook. I'm tired of getting attacked all the time just because I gave my opinion on something. And I'm like, shh. That old saying comes back. Yeah, everybody's got. Yeah, one. everybody's got one. Right. <laughs> Trying what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's why the project happened. Um, and I cast Thomas in this in this interesting role because he's really good at um, 
dealing with people who are down or need life advice, especially kind of young guys like mm. I was who didn't have a lot of older men in my life to say, um, you know, this is the way to go. Stay away from this. Right. Um, just giving you some wisdom that was earned through many years. Oh yeah. Um, and Thomas, he always felt like that kind of guy in my life. And so I wrote a character who's very much like that. He's a counselor. who's trying to get these, these four kids who, um, have severe social anxiety to just come out of their shell. Right. And he gives them little experiments to go through. Um, and it seems like it's an utter failure and everything he did was for nothing. Well, it's kind of disparaging when you see stuff like that, you know, I mean, you try and try and try and then nothing ever comes about of it. That's right. Yeah. And then in the final scene, things kind of come together and you get to see, Oh, he, he had been planning something the whole time and he was the mastermind behind getting this group of people to sort of become friends with each other. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's how that, uh, came about. And Thomas, I thought was great in the role. He always, he always, um, you know, my, my note, uh, cause you give actors notes when they're kind of getting off course. And I always tell him, you know, I wrote this for you. Just stop acting and you'll nail it. Yeah. Just be yourself on a right. lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I wrote this in your voice. I know it really well. We've done so many projects together. Just, Say the lines and stop acting. (laughs) (laughs) It it always throws me because I still want to desperately be an actor that goes out there and produces this performance that's just, you know, astounding. The the Oscar moment? Yeah, the Oscar moment. And, and, you know, Jason consistently, you know, when I tried to explain to him, I'm seeing this and I'm kind of feeling this and I'm thinking I ought to, and he just looks at me and says, dude, just be yourself. Yeah. I wrote it for you. Just be yourself. And I'm almost always disappointed for a moment mm-hmm. until I go into character, do the scene because it's very natural. Yeah. It feels very natural. Feels, You know, I have, I have a propensity toward compassion and, and, um, reaching out to people, right? whether they're downtrodden or not is not even an issue. People, just people, because I don't care who you are. You'd be on the top of the mountain today we all have our downs. And so wherever we're at at that point, I just have a, I say a propensity to, uh, to gravitate toward those people and want to uh, assist in some way, shape or form. I don't profess to be an expert at, at anything other than I'm an expert at compassion, if you will. Right. I, I strive to be. So. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's something I always, I really admired about you because I've known you for a while and, um, you know, me, you, and uh, another friend of ours, Eric, we'll get on the phone, you know, during the day while we're driving and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, I could be pissed off about something or just not having a good day on any daggum thing and trying to get my thoughts straight. And you're right there. You just pop it right off. And no, look, David, dude, this is what you got to do. You know, and then, of course, Eric would chime in every now and then about, well, this is what you really need to do, you know, and between you two helping me out a lot, uh, that's kind of what has driven me to do what I want to do and actually finding an avenue for, for, you know, the whole podcast thing and everything else. So, I mean, you've helped me out tremendously. Yeah. Thomas is one of the most selfless people. He was giving me a pep talk on the way over here today about something <laughs> that's going on in my private life. Um, he just never stops and he's always others focused and you know we talked about kind of making these films for 16 years but 
a big chunk of that time was actually doing projects for other people. Right. And, you know, I think that when you, especially Thomas, he's always looking at a project as how can I give value to you mm-hmm. rather than what can I get from you? Yeah. And, um, I think as a company, that's, that's a motto that, that we like, Yeah. you know, it's sort of like, can, can we give value to you? How can we help you? Yeah. Cause I mean, you've, uh, well, I mean, over that course of 16 years, you've got, I'm sure you've got pretty much everything you need to actually load up a truck and go do what you need to do. And yeah. that's cameras are, yeah. dude, I had a problem with the cameras and everything. And I finally got these cameras and I'm loving these cameras. They actually work pretty good. And, uh, the first cameras I got, I think I paid 133 bucks for each one of them. And these are like nine ninety nine. So, I mean, I, the movie, these streets we home when I was watching it, I was just like, dude, the visual on this. Oh my God. And then it hit me. This has got to be an expensive ass camera. <laughs> it actually yeah, was. It, yeah. was, it was an expensive camera. That's not generally what you're looking at though. When you see right. like a cinematic image. Um, right. Well, like, I mean the quality was just awesome on it. Yeah, I it mean, motion picture quality. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, was, it was, and, and not to get off the technicals because that's not me, that's Jason. But I'd like to say that, you know, we had an incredible group of people working on that feature. Right. Us, okay. Uh, quite frankly, you know, I was, not very well or very much involved because I was working. I had things to do. You know, I wrote a check and, and did that. Um, but also because Jason is, is kind of been um, like for me anyway, like my adoptive son, adoptive right. son. Okay. Cause I don't really have you know boys. I got girls and that's a whole nother thing. But um, the point was, is I wanted him to build his confidence and I wanted him to understand and, and realize his strengths and, and weaknesses and, and the weaknesses are not a problem. They're, they're there, they're real. Everybody's got them. But if you learn and understand those, then you can mm-hmm. find little workarounds. Oh yeah. And, uh, but that was my main thrust is to have him get out there and just do it. He didn't need me. In, in other words, I gave him that little push on the bicycle yeah. and from there he goes. Now, obviously I had more faith and trust in him maybe than he did in himself at the time, but that's, that's the way it ought to be, right? Right, right. That's how you, you motivate. Um, but the people that were involved in this project that gave of their time, their energy, their their ideas, um, even from a financial standpoint, they they sacrificed. They really did. And, you know, the reality of it is, is why, you know, why did they even do that for some were essentially strangers to us, but. Uh, I mean, we had done some stuff with them, but we really didn't know one another. But I think, it again, to get back to what Jason was saying is our thing is, how can we help you? You know, uh, we want your experience on our project to be as though it's your project as well. We want you to love it as much as we love it. We want you to be as passionate as you can be about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and we want to do whatever we can do to make that um, a reality and make it so that you're, you, you, it's a natural flow. And so these people brought so much to the table. And like I said, they, you know, it was without them, we wouldn't have what we have today. Well, say, I think that's what a lot of people fall behind on is more and more people I'm learning 
are more looking at that monetary than anything else. And they're in the wrong business. Then. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I'm basically looking at kind of like from your perspective, mm-hmm. I want this to be fun. Yeah. I want guests that come on the show to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll help them out. Hopefully it'll help me out. Sure. But at the end of the day, I want something when I upload it, I want something to be proud of. Sure. And you don't find a lot of that anymore. No. no I mean, sure. it, it's people are not really prideful in what they do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talk about it exclusively. And this is what we did. And I mean, with anything, when you start to build something and you get it to that certain point, you should be able to sit back and go, man, what a ride. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Instead, they're looking at their checkbook going, eh. Not what I had in mind. Not what I wanted, yeah. you know. And then they're just like, I won't do that no more. Right. I can't tell you how much used gear is out anywhere uh, at uh, different places. I can imagine there's probably plenty of used gear for movies and people getting into the indie stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a guy that we worked with years ago that um, was kind of a quasi-partner with us, and he was always, always, we're going to be rich. We're going to be rich. <laughs> I, I love the guy. He's a good guy. He's no longer with us. Um, but He's you know, not dead. He's just not. That was, that was his thrust. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get rich, yeah. so he just left. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Uh, let me that's why they myself. do. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's, you know, you're going to weed people well, out. Not everybody is in it for the sake of the art, you know, and right. that's fine. You know, uh, that's, that's why I'm doing it because I think there's value in stories and, in art and beautiful things. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's nothing more beautiful than taking something that didn't exist and then kind of giving birth to it and, and sharing it with somebody else. Just look at this thing. That's so beautiful, you know? Yeah. Well, but that's what I noticed when I was looking at the books online. Yeah. The artwork, on each one. I mean, it wasn't like vastly different, but you could see where they were. Yeah, there was a theme. But yeah, a whole theme unique. to it, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and it just, it drew me in more. I mean, it had beautiful artwork on the cover and everything, and that's what made me want to get them. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that uh, I'm not going to be disappointed. <laughs> No, I don't think you will. No refunds. We actually were talking about what Jason's talking about. We were talking about that on the way up here. Yeah. Um, You know, as far as what's the motivation for doing what we do. And I've got a slightly different bent on it. I'm not as concerned or I don't want to say concerned, but not as steeped in the creative process as I am the business side. Well, yeah, that's where Jason comes in. Yeah. And and it's, you know, we're both creative, but, but, and it's not the money. It's the fact that I love doing business. Yeah. Well, what I was explaining to Thomas is the way I am attracted to creating art. He's attracted to business for the same way because it's it's the craft of doing the thing that he likes. Mm-hmm. And it's not that much different. It's just a different area of focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he, he finds a lot of joy in in coming up with business ideas, you know, ways to monetize things. Um, the same way I get excited about a good story, you know, or a right. twist ending or something. Yeah, that's part of why I was doing this because I just, I love having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, me and Thomas is old truck drivers, man. We, <laughs> we talk, baby. We, we, we talk. We'd be on the CB radio all the daggum time <laughs> yeah, going down yeah. the road, you know. Right. And what what you're doing right now is storytelling. 
Yeah. You know, we're just getting together and talking like we would if there weren't microphones here. You yeah, know? you could be in a truck, he could be in a truck, and oh, we'd yeah. be going down the road at, you know, 75 mile an hour, having a conversation, just keeping each other awake, going down the road. Yeah. and Doing some commentary driving, telling people what you're seeing at the time. <laughs> yeah. You see this yeah. guy, boy, this car's wrecked over here in the snowbank, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned, or we talked about people and how uh, the involvement of people. I wanted to kind of, you know, mention Phil Valentine. Yeah, uh, because he was a part of this project as well, and uh, yeah, he was. Uh, that was his last movie, wasn't it? That was, yeah, it was the last movie. And you know, you talked about pride, and that's what what kind of triggered me to think about uh, Phil. Um, and it's a whole story about how he even got involved in the project. But um, I guess the bottom line was that after he had seen the film, he was un- actually unable to go to uh, when we screened the film mm-hmm. uh, in Murfreesboro, uh, the Premier Six Cinema. Uh, he couldn't come. He had to work and so forth. But um, uh, at any rate, he had seen the film, I don't know, I guess on his computer or whatever. He watched it at home. At uh, home? And, I, and I think that um, he told his wife before, or no, his wife asked him before it came on, am I going to be ashamed of what I'm going <laughs> to see? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll have to see here. Yeah. But he, he texted me and he just said, you know, I just wanted to say that I am so proud to have been a part of this project. Thank you very much. And, and Phil was a, was a joy. He really was. He was so easy to work with. I mean, I didn't work with him as a director, but obviously as a for, director. For people who don't know, Phil was a nationally syndicated radio host and author of some spy novels. Um, a lot of people knew who he was. And so when he first came on to the project, I thought he's going he's gonna to be a certain way. You know? Right. And when, we, when he first came into the set, uh, well, first of all, Thomas offered to send a ride out to get him. He's like, I'll drive in. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but when he walked onto the set, you know, uh, he's like, uh, where's, uh, where can, where's the makeup person? And I said, uh, we don't have one of those today. <laughs> um, sometimes we do. And sometimes we just can't afford one. And he says, fine. I brought my own powder. It's good. He's like, just, I need a mirror. That's it. And I was like, I like him. Oh yeah. Nice guy. And he took direction really well, which is not always the case with people who have some notoriety. Right. And, and pulls up in a Bentley, no less. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. He had that Bentley, but, uh. Yeah, true. And he was he wasn't a diva in any way, shape, or form. And you know, tried to even do a meal plan for him. And you know, he only had a couple of scenes. But the point was, he's like, no, whatever you guys are eating that day, I'm fine. You know. Oh yeah. And he was on a dietary program, but he was uh, he was just cool. He was not a problem. Not in you know, we sat and had pizza together, shooting a breeze about truck driving and and miscellaneous stuff. It was a it was yeah. an enjoyable time. And uh, obviously, we're all very sad uh, when we you know learned of his his um, passing. Uh, in fact, I still today uh, get people, I got a text yesterday. In fact, I, I think I read it to you uh, from a friend of mine that I work with that said, uh, I just watched these streets we haunt. Oh yeah. He yeah, said, yeah. Man, he said, I really love the film. It's really great. He said, um, he said, you actually look good in the, in the thing that he's telling me. Said, oh, okay, great. And we didn't have makeup that day, but you know, okay, I look good. But um, then he said, um, he said, Oh, he said, it was so good to see uncle Phil. Yeah. He said, and then his last thing was, I really miss that man. You know, man, he had a great career. He did. You know, he, he only stopped his syndication because his, um, uh, publisher really felt very strongly about his, his writing and wanted to, you know, kind of have him go more in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally he was syndication was, you know, overwhelming in terms of the, the time commitment. 
oh, to, yeah. for preparation and so forth. So uh, he opted to walk away from that and and do really what his his love was is is the novels and uh, yeah you know so yeah so I guess you could say that Phil no matter what transpired he lived his life and he lived large and and he yeah, was, he was a wonderful wonderful person to deal with he wasn't a pain yeah that what that taught me is is it's not always unpleasant dealing with uh people who are famous or semi-famous because i got it in my head a long time ago that i didn't want to work with celebrities right um because because a lot of them are a handful (laughs) you kind of don't want to work with them but um well i mean from the movie aspect of it um i didn't want to interject but i was just curious um when you've got a movie in mind you can actually say you know hey i want to try give me these three actors or these three actresses and i want to try them i mean you have an idea already so like if there's somebody you just really knew was a diva or or whatever and you just really didn't want to work with them you didn't have to get them right well you don't always know you don't always know that's the tricky thing right um and it kind of depends project to project i mean they might come on to you your project having done a good job on the last one got along with everybody and now they you know they're having substance abuse issues and they're just a train wreck you know (laughs) that's very it's very common actually yeah um and so you don't always know what you're going to get with name actors right um so i still prefer to work with locals if i can help it uh i just find them more open to ideas um but again i haven't i haven't worked with a lot of famous people so um I might be wrong about that, well, but I, ha- but I, but I know people who have, and I don't think I'm that wrong about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, uh, you know, when I was doing the licensed sound all over Nashville and everything, that was something that, uh, I didn't really care. I mean, I kind of knew already who the problem people were, but when it came to like, if I was just doing the lighting, I'd walk up to them while they were setting up on stage and I'd be like, you know, Hey, what songs are you doing? What do you like in the lighting? They would give me a little bit of an idea and I'd say, okay, well I'm doing your lights tonight and uh, have a good show. And I'd walk away. Mm. I just treat them like normal people, you know, and, uh, they put their pants on just like I do. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, Thomas and I were at an event last year and, uh, Victoria Jackson from SNL. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty well known. She's a hoot, man. Yeah. She just came up and she said, Hey, I'm Victoria. And it's like, yeah, we know, you know, <laughs> I watched you growing up. Who doesn't Who know? Who don't Victoria. know? Yeah. She was just chit chatting with everybody. Like it was nothing. And I'm like, okay, there, there are good ones. Well, yeah. actually I, I, uh, asked as we were walking out of the theater, um, I, I stopped and was, you know, just, chit-chatting with her briefly i said by the way i said i'm a filmmaker i said if i do a production and i've got a role in there for you would you be uh, possibly willing to do it she said sure reach out to me i was like okay great yeah so well i mean a lot of people just like to do their craft you know yeah well phil getting back to phil uh i spoke with him it's actually a couple of days before he went in the hospital and um uh he was, I knew he wasn't, you know, he had COVID and, but I thought he was getting better. And so I texted him and, you know, just wished him well. I knew he was going to do the show that day. And, um, I said to him, by the way, I said, we are more than likely Lord willing going to have some future projects coming up. Would you be interested in, uh, you know, in me keeping you in the loop 
for potential future projects. Right. Keeping in mind, I said, I would like to give you something uh, meatier than what you had in, in our last feature. And he just typed back, oh, man, that would be great. He said, yes, please keep me in the loop because I would love to do more uh, in, in that area. I said, okay, great. Yeah. And uh, the next day he had gone in the hospital. Yeah, it's, yeah. I hate him passing. I know. I mean, he was a good guy. Yeah. Had a moment of silence for Mr. Phil Valentine because, I mean, he was a great one. He was. He don't make certain people like that anymore. No. Mm-mm. One of a kind. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I don't know if we if we um, diverge too much from the Dude. technical. I, I know that I know that you wanted to talk about it, and I think we got into storytelling mode. And uh, but if you did have some some stuff to ask, because when I listen to podcasts, and I, I, there's a few I like, I like when they get into the nuts and bolts, especially if if somebody's accomplished something I'm trying to do. Right. Um, I want to hear how they did it, and I want to know specifics. Not everybody. Yeah, because I that. think uh, I think we were like midway through on the. Uh, start to finish on the introverts anonymous Oh, okay. was what we were talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then we kind of do it. And this is what I like about what I do. Cause it's a conversation, man. Mm-hmm. We can go back. We can go forward. We can do anything we want yeah. to. I just don't want to ignore anything you're interested in. Oh no, no, no. You're good. Um, you were on the, I'm trying to remember. You know, used to we could say playback, and somebody play back something to you. But yeah, we have a massive crew, by the way. You can't see it, <laughs> yeah. but there's like 14 people back there. A switchboard, right? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> sure. Bring me a coffee. No. Uh, but yeah, on the introverts, you got him playing the role, and there was, if I remember correctly, one of the last scenes was you was actually in the car pulled up, and I think it was your two kids in the house. They were actually. Actually, they were in a uh, a bar, it was right. a bar scene, and it was a big picture window, and they were sitting at a at bench seating uh, at a table in the bar, and there were four of them, and they were actually interacting, which was a big, you know, moment. Um, and they cut to the, we cut to the, the folks up there doing their thing, mm-hmm. you know, having their bottles of beer and kind of interacting in that regard. And then cut back to me, I was in my car and looking up at my kids because I perceived them as, you know, my kids, right? Right. And, um, you know, just, it was funny because uh, without going into a lot, um, I didn't even really understand what an introvert necessarily was. I kind of know it's a thing, but I really, at the time that I did, I'm going, I don't know, I guess. Well, you pulled off a good job. Well, I didn't, I didn't. I said to myself after the fact, especially after the comments that people made, I thought, geez, I could have done that better. Yeah. But ironically, uh, it, it worked fine, surprisingly, but it had been raining that day. And it just, the way the lighting was, and it, it looked like I was welling up with tears, which I mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, and, and as I'm looking at the kids, kind of give a little smile, and then I drive off, you know. Um, it, was a, it was a moment that people, literally, I had folks say to me that uh, they cried. Yeah, that was one of the big main things that came out in that movie. Yeah, which that was I, just some magic that had nothing to do with me. Right. It's, it's just cool. the way filmmaking works because what Thomas was focused on in that scene wasn't so much the moment because he wasn't seeing anything. There was nobody in the room he was looking at because right. we, we shot that separate. Right. They weren't even in there. Yeah. Um, we were doing his coverage first, and so he was just kind of looking off into space. I gave him an eye line, mm-hmm. and um, I said, okay, drive away, and we were trying to get 
the car to move away at the right speed to where we could fade out mm-hmm. at the same time racking focus to the background. So the whole thing was a technical challenge and he was, you know, not in the story, so to speak as an actor because right. he had, he was driving the car, you know, we had a, we had a complicated kind of focus shift and, um, and so that's what was on his mind the whole time. But when people watch it because of the way it's cut together, they think, Oh, I was so moved by that. <laughs> But they don't realize what goes on behind the scenes is a little bit. Well, that that was some of the technical out. stuff that I was wanting to ask you yeah. about. I mean, because a lot of times when you see something, it's got it's already had editing. This shot was set up at a certain location at a certain time, and then you've got you know, of course, lighting, weather, yada yada yada. Everything that you encompass putting this stuff together. I mean, for a thirty minute film, you're looking at how much time of actual footage that you've shot setting up shots? Uh, uh, wow. It depends on the project for introverts anonymous. We're going back a ways. I think we shot that in what? 20, 2016 or 2016, 2016, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't remember how much we shot. We shot over the course of, I think it was three days. Right. I'm not mistaken. Was three days, three days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were full days, so we're doing a day in film terms is twelve hours. Okay. Um, so they were pretty full three twelve hour days, and we filled up our cards. We were shooting on the red. We shot an eight K resolution, which is way overkill for a little indie drama, but um, it allowed us to reframe in post. Okay. Which was not, it saves time because um, one of the final shots in that film is Dorothy, the the main character. She's having this heart to heart with this guy she had a crush on. And we only had time to shoot a wide shot for that. And you you don't capture a moment like that in a wide shot. You, you need a close-up. Right. So uh, Dustin Heyer, my uh, DP on the film, he's like, well, we can shoot it in a wide because we're in 8K, and then I can do a fake pullout as if we had a dolly, you know, set up. And we, we started from a from a close-up and then moved, you know, to a, a wider shot. Yeah, just roll the camera backwards. Yeah, but what we actually did, because we didn't have time yeah. to do that, we just shot in as a wide. He punched into the face. Um, so we had a close up in post. And then through editing, he just kind of moved the camera out as if the camera was on tracks. Mm-hmm. So um, shooting in a really high resolution, this is way too much detail, but no, um, it allowed. No, us, a lot of people want to know yeah. this stuff. I mean, yeah. A lot of people don't know. I mean, you sit down and watch a movie and, dude, the work that goes into it, mm-hmm. nobody has a clue. But you go into a theater and you're watching an hour 49 or an hour 52 movie. It's one reason I'm, I'm very kind to fin- indie filmmakers, even if I watch their, their project and I don't, I don't like it. Um, it's such a, a miracle that anything is finished. If you can finish a movie and it's even remotely watchable, mm-hmm. I think that's a big win. So I don't, I don't you know... Um, well, ex- in that vein, uh, for example... House of Numbers film that we talked about earlier. Yeah. There were over 300 hours of footage. Wow. On that film. Yeah. That's a lot. That's totally a lot. And now, so the actual feature itself was what, about two hours or so? Yeah. And then there's a complimentary double DVD set that goes with it, which is not what you would call outtakes, but just additional footage out of the 300 hours of footage. Right. On very you know, very deliberate and specific uh, talks between scientists and the mm-hmm. filmmaker uh, who was interviewing them for the documentary. 
So it's it's quite intense. But my point is, is that there you go, three hundred over three hundred hours fact, of footage. Uh, uh, Brent, the director of that, uh, he showed me the first cut of it. He had he was really proud of it, and God bless him. But it was it was almost three hours long, and I said you gotta you gotta cut this in half and he said but it's all important yeah I can't, yeah. what do i cut you know and he was that's really frustrated killer. by that trim all that down that's tough. and so what, his answer to that was he, he released an hour and a half version and, and then he did a double disc at the time back when people watch dvds mm-hmm. yeah uh, which they still do they still do you got a little bit of an edge though because most of the movies that y'all been doing you've actually wrote so you've already got this prevision of what you want yeah, we, we do primarily everything in-house i mean as far as screenwriting as far as you know acting and so forth we, we hire out people for crew but yeah we mm-hmm. you know i'm always getting inundated by people wanting to give me ideas mm-hmm. on films i don't need ideas i need money <laughs> okay? we got plenty of ideas i don't need ideas but people don't realize that i've got this idea for a film I, great i've got 15 of them you know and i got a list and we're trying to prioritize and all we need is money you know well we just need to get you know a shirt made for you that says <laughs> great idea yeah how much money you got yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you. oh no that was that was perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah but with the with the money thing it's true though um you know but resources are the same as money mm-hmm. in a way yeah. and i'm constantly reminding thomas of this too because um what do you raise money for on a film? You know, resources like, Oh, that location's too grand, you know, for a couple of days, I really want that location, but I don't have enough money, you know, but if yeah, you- I was curious about that, how that goes. I mean, as far as locations, cause you see people, you know, they're in a outside of somebody's house. Okay. Well, you got to rent that house for a day. Sometimes you may be able to cheat it <laughs> if it's the outside. I but, mean, but yeah. like, like my house, we shot footage in my house for and, the film and mine yeah. and yours. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. but the, the two main locations was free. for these streets we haunt were Airbnbs. Yeah. Um, and one of those, the main location, I think we were there for <clears throat> eight, eight to 10 days. So was the half of the shoot basically was in this one house. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the main house of the movie, right? Yeah. Okay. I think our, we paid, like, our lead character was, yeah. I think it was like eighteen hundred dollars for the ten days, um, and then I had to pay some additional stuff because the crew damaged one of the walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure that's a whole story in itself. Yeah, so I had to pay a little bit extra, but you know, let's call it two grand yeah. for for ten days of shooting, and that's about that's about par for the course. That might be a little, um, little bit of a deal actually we got on that one, but. Um, what I meant by resources though, is that if you like Thomas, like my house, if you have a place that you don't have to pay for, it's as good as having the money. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, it just saved us X. It, if you're rich in resources, you need less money. That's right. kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. No, I can understand that. Yeah. So on, uh, when you, you decide to make the project, how do you go about that vision? of actually putting it on film with your audio, everything you've got, because to me, that would be one of the biggest technical stuff to piece all that together. And you've got to, as far as the director, you've got to have all that in your head. You've got to know, okay, I want this. I want this. You over here, you over there. We're going to do this shot. 
and the lighting is going to be perfect in an hour and 15 minutes. So everybody get ready. You know, I mean, what's that process that you go through? Uh, hey, before you answer though, I want to say one of the single biggest things for a director, from my perspective, most directors know exactly what they want. Mm. That's not the issue. The issue is, can I get the rest of this crew to cooperate? <laughs> that's the issue. Am I right? It's, that's quite true. Yeah. yeah. It's not just having a vision. You have to communicate the vision. And that was one of my weak points along the way was First I had the vision, film. but it was in my head. So how do you translate that to somebody who doesn't see the picture in your head? Right. And to complicate matters on set, we do, most films do what's called block shooting. Okay. And block shooting means you don't shoot the scene sequentially as they would appear in the screenplay. Yeah. Okay. So on day one, you might shoot something, a scene that takes place halfway into the story. And it's a really emotional scene. And these actors showed up that day and they just met each other. So that might not work, it, but it, you have to make it work because yes. yeah. that's, that's why how we, that's most, why we hire them because yeah. they yeah. can do that. Yeah. Block shooting exists because, and I don't like it, but it's, it's one of those necessary evils because let's say you have a location for 10 days that you paid for. You got to shoot all the scenes that take place in that location before you move to the next one. Because if you don't, you wasted the space and you're going to pay more money for that location. Right. Um, especially if you, had, if you got multiple shots, right? Yeah. even if you had money, you wouldn't waste it by, you know, fragmenting it. You got to get it all right then and there. It just makes, makes sense. Well, yeah. Cause that, you know, as long as that clock is moving, you're, you're wasting money. Yeah, and, and that, that particular location might be sprinkled throughout the entirety of the film, Yeah, but it has to happen. So when we're doing block shooting, which is most of the time, uh, the first thing I do on set while the crew's setting up the lights is I'll communicate with the DP. And I've worked with this guy, D Dustin Heyer, on the last three films. So we have a bit of a shorthand with each other. And he'll tell me kind of what he's thinking. I'll tell him, you know, okay, that works. Go, go ahead. And at that point, I move on to um, talking to the actors. And the main thing talking to the actors when you do this kind of shooting is um, letting them know, orienting them to where we are in the movie. Right. It would seem like that. Why would you talk about that? But um, it's because you're shooting out of order and it's not always clear kind of what happened before and after the scene you're shooting. Well, it, see, I didn't know that. I thought maybe y'all did. You went in and you shot particular scenes and you kind of stayed within the script of the whole thing. Uh, you with within a given scene that that's true. Although not always, sometimes you, you break a scene in two, like we did in, in introverts where he's, there's a scene where he's in the same scene. There's a shot where he's looking at, at four people, mm -hmm. but that was shot separately than his coverage. Okay. So he's not actually looking at anything when he's, when he's supposed to be looking at them. Right. Uh, that's so, where the acting comes that's in. That's where the acting okay. comes in. <laughs> Uh, but it's a, it's a big hurdle. And I think directors who aren't super experienced, they don't know that the actor comes to set a little bit disoriented because, mm. uh, yeah. especially in a feature, if you have a 20 day schedule, let's say, and you're on day one and you're shooting page 74, yeah, you have to orient that actor and say, okay, here's, here's how we're coming into the scene. Here's, here's your direction. Gonna, here's, the direction. <laughs> here's, what's, here's what comes after that scene. By that point, you're not really directing so much in terms of performance or telling an actor, okay, here's what your character is thinking. They come to set knowing that at this point. Okay. It's more of a, it's more of a technical walkthrough of, okay, you're going to walk from here to here. This is where the light's set up. So you're going to land on this mark and do your line. It's very technical when you're on set. It's in pre-production 
where you're having those conversations about motivation, mm-hmm. um, all the character stuff that needs to happen before you're on set because when you're on set, the clock is ticking. The, and yeah. you can't get into philosophical discussions about what your character, you know, their background and stuff like that. Um, you had better do that in pre-production. So in, in the pre-production stuff, do y'all do like uh, everybody sitting around a big table and y'all just go through the whole movie right there at the table? We've and, done that, but we don't, as a rule, generally do that. Uh, yeah, and you don't always you don't always need it on short films, um, but I do like rehearsal. And we did a um, the lead actress uh, Lauren Perez on on Streets lived in Miami mm-hmm. at the time we were doing pre production. And uh, Jesse, who was the kind of the villain in the movie, he lived in Atlanta, and other people were local, so um, we weren't able to get in the same room together before we shot. Uh, in fact, the, the day I met Jesse was the first day on set. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so he came the, prepared. Fortunately, he had to. Well, but we did yeah. do um, we did do a couple of Skype rehearsals where we were all you know, and it's not the same because you're not in the same room and you're not moving around a physical space you're just kind of sitting in front of a webcam which isn't the same um energy you would get right a table read maybe but uh well that's what i hear in hollywood and stuff you know you, you like the big bang theory and, and a bunch of those little shows they do like a table read and then they go on set and, and that's pretty typical in, on, on those types well that's of why i was yeah. curious because i didn't know if it's that's something y'all did in like a production of a movie also uh, different filmmakers approach that differently. I am a big fan of rehearsal. Um, and I am not. And that's <laughs> <laughs> why he never knows his lines. Dude. I struggle. No. <laughs> I, I struggle with. So you're more improv well, has, guy, huh? No, he has ADHD. So it's a little bit tricky for him yeah. to, to yeah. get the dialogue down. And my thing is, and we've talked about this, um, when the, when you're rehearsing now, this is a weird outlook, but this is my perspective. When you're rehearsing, you're faking, okay? You're acting. When the camera is turned on and you are therefore in the, the role, right? that's reality. All right, Thomas, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Yes. <laughs> Please, by all means. This is what I do with my actors. That's what it feels like to me, though. Yeah, I know. That's I know. reality. Yeah. And otherwise, I'm faking it. To I be don't honest, fake. The, way, the way I work with Thomas is different than other actors, and not everybody has the same process. Um they're especially actors who come from a theater background. They are so familiar with rehearsal, not just rehearsal, but the actual play itself is done several times. Uh, so it's, it's very unnatural for them to just to show up on set and, okay. say, and perform. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Um, actors who started on camera, uh, tend to like a more spontaneous approach. Uh, I, I kind of side with the theater you know, the, the theater actors on this because, yeah. uh, well, preparation, it, it's a great thing. Well, yeah. Well, if one, you can hack it. Yeah. One thing is it, it helps you understand things that, uh, you won't have to ask on set. Cause like I said, on set, every minute counts. Oh yeah. You know, um, you're paying people per day mm-hmm. you know, and you ha- you've scheduled a certain amount of days. So that is not the time to, uh, play with motivations and okay. ask really deep questions and you know I, I prefer when those things come out uh, before we get on set and we tackle all of that and then the actor when they're on set uh, they know their lines mm-hmm. and so you're not thinking about your lines while you're trying to act at the same time right um, 
So I prefer they show up, they know their lines, and at that point you can sink into character a bit. As long as you're oriented and you kind of know where you are in the story. And so a big part of my job is trying to orient them uh, in that, you know, here's where we are in the timeline of the story. Okay. Page 79. Yeah. That's a lot of what what a director's doing on set is. It helps with perspective because that's something that I struggled with for a long time with uh, Jason. How many times did I look at you and say, can you explain to me? Yeah. I, I don't understand how this relates to and, the next scene. And it's yeah. like, it has, we're not shooting that scene. We're shooting out of sequence. I struggled with that for a long, long yeah. time. Well, say that's what I'm learning here because mm-hmm. I mean, I have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I finally got to the point where I just decided, you know what? I don't have to ask him these questions. He's telling me what he's telling me for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I came to the place where, I mean, you realize that I trusted you then before that I'm going, uh, Jason, I, I think you might be mistaken because it doesn't this, this, and you know, Thomas then, would always ask me on, stuff on, on set. Um, because he didn't, I, I think at the time you didn't understand the editing process. Oh, I had no clue. I had and, no clue. Yeah. When I stepped on was part set, of my education process. Yeah. Yeah. And most actors I think who haven't, uh, edited before they struggle with this too. Um, and they'll wonder why you're doing things a certain way because it doesn't always seem intuitive. Like, why is the director asking this? And why is he, why is the camera there? You know? Yeah, that's why I was asking about, you know, the whole timeline and, and how y'all set this up. And because and, it, it, really it's amazing how a lot of the shoots get done from my understanding of what, you know, I've heard. And then seeing that finished product and you're just like, dude, this is fantastic, you know, but you see somebody that's, you know, been on vacation down in Panama city beach with a camera and they're trying to put it together on a movie or something like that. And, and you're just like, not bad, but it wasn't this. This is the reason a director has to have a vision to make anything because the most unimpressive thing in the world is to walk on set and watch a scene happen. Unless it's a really intense scene with A-list actors or something, it's going to look like a really technical, boring, slow process where a person repeats the same thing four times. They have to hit a certain mark, so people are putting tape on the ground. And it just, the whole thing looks uh, unimpressive. Right. You know, but when you see the final product, it's so different. Uh, But the director has to see that final product while he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And... That's the ability you have to have to to make a film. You have to see what it's going to be like once it's edited, once the score is laid in. Um, but you've got that vision in your head the whole time, piecing it all together. Yeah. yeah. What what I found is as an actor, you're not seeing. It's kind of like have pieces of a puzzle, right? He's got yeah. the whole puzzle. He knows what the picture looks like. I've got a small piece. Somebody else has another piece, and what you're you're. I guess your natural tendency is I want to know the whole thing, mm-hmm. but it's just the nature of it. You can't, what you have to learn to do is your part Oh yeah. and trust your director because he sees the big picture. And that's what I struggled with initially until, you know, obviously over time we've, we've, um, you know, dealt with it and taken care of it. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, back when I was doing sound and everything, uh, on some recordings, if it was a duo, you would have 
okay, this artist can only be in at this certain time. Yes. This artist can only be in at this certain time. Can't be together. But you've got to take two individuals and you got to complete this song mm -hmm. and they're singing to each other. There's, I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff on duos. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's quite extraordinary how you can just piece it all together and make it work. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's a level of professionalism that, that makes the art, you know, so great. You know, if it is actually great, it's that level of professionalism that really does that. Yeah. That's why people, you know, if it was so easy, everybody would be doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people have started and thought they'd have a good idea to do it and mm -hmm. well, backed out of I've it. I've started numerous things in my life. I've failed at more things than you can imagine. Uh, but for whatever reason, I continue to find new things to uh, to try to, to do. Well, that's like some new drivers that I've talked to, you know, and they're just like, you back up aimlessly. I don't see how you hit the dock in one shot. And I'm just like, dude, I backed up more miles than you have even thought about yeah, going yeah, forward. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, Believe it or not, this is my 52nd year Damn. as a driver. Yeah. I ain't doing it. No, I hope you don't. <laughs> I'm not. Don't. I'm retiring soon anyway, so. You need yeah. to. I need to. You need to work full time on just this stuff. Well, I agree. It's a, it's about to happen, and I've never actually had Thomas full-time as, as a producer or an actor. He's always, you know, moonlighting. And, uh, you know, me too. I've, I've always, or I'll continue to work. I'm a, I'm a ways off from uh, retirement, but. Well, you've got, uh, he's got more flexibility in his schedule. That's true. Mm. You know, me, yeah. I, I primarily, up until the last couple of years, I've been working 60 hours a week consistently. That's a norm. It doesn't leave a lot of room for a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, when COVID way. came out, man, I mean, everybody started working from home. It's opened up a whole big new avenue because mm -hmm. a lot of people, they're just not going back. Companies are finding out, you know, hey, we ain't got to pay I know, you know, I, this big old building, you know. I've been trying to figure out how I could drive a truck from the house. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I hope so. Well, actually, it'll come by the time I retire, so who cares? They'll, they'll have a VR headset you can use. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just we, like we the worked, drones. Like you, you worked the entire pandemic. I worked the six days Every a week second during the of pandemic. Right? I, people were sitting at home talking about doing this, that, and the other. I'm like, I, I'm not at home. I can't be at home. Yeah. yeah. No, I had COVID when it first came out, yeah. when it first hit. I had it before and it came out. I was quarantined. I got the early bird special. Yeah. He was in the Wuhan lab. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was in the lab, exactly. <laughs> 2019, the Christmas okay, week, hey, hey, I got it. Don't demonetize the guy, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I did the quarantine in the drug. Right. I, mean, I was only down for four days. Okay. Wasn't that bad? Yeah, that's right. Because you were running the road at that time. Yeah, so I was you still were sleeping the, in the yeah. truck at a truck stop for four days, right? Yeah, because I've only been, I've been uh, at this job that I'm at now, where I just shift trailers on yeah, the yard. Yeah, yeah. Monday through Friday, you know, home every night and off weekends, right. and, and that's how I've gotten to accomplish what Which, i've accomplished exactly yeah so i mean there's a lot of new avenues and a lot of people are just okay i gotta find something to do yeah you know and it makes it a whole lot easier when you can log in at work and do what you got to do for a couple of hours and jason then, does yeah you know oh, oh and here's a side project here let me make a couple of notes here you know and it works a whole lot better yeah yeah i'm hoping more companies stay with that right I know some people that would go to work and actually write screenplays while they were working. Well, I don't know oh, no, who wait, that could be. I have no idea. I have to take up for myself here. We were, uh, I worked for a, um, 
a, a company that owned a bunch of hospitals and we were doing rack audits at the time. This is where the, the government decides um, the hospital overcharged for certain services. Yeah. So they would send these audits to the hospitals and we had a team of clinicians who would uh, go through those and, and make appeals, write official appeals and mm-hmm. all the way up to ALJ and uh, the rack system, we got the legal system got so bogged down with this process that uh, we had to um, kind of, we went to court and we settled with them, our company and the government. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, there was like a year and a half um, where our company basically, I'm going to get in trouble saying that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, can I'm you, a little can you edit this out? Cause I still work for this company. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I don't want to tell the story because the uh, big boy toy fund is right there. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there, you go. there, there was a, there in was other a, news. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that I haven't said the name of the company. No, no so, okay, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had about a year and a half where uh, there was no work coming in because of the, the settlement. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just came into work every day and there was nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wrote like five screenplays or something during that time. Sweet. He's, he's considerably more productive than myself because during COVID, there were many times when, you know, you'd call in and say, do you have anything for me? No. Well, I'm out here in, you know, ABC land. What do you want me to do? Uh, you just sit, sit because we, we need you out there just in case something ca- comes in. I could be sitting for three, four hours some days. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't productive. I just sat there and played on my phone or called somebody or whatever. But um, most yeah. time he was on the phone with me and Eric. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sitting. Okay. How about you? Yeah, I'm sitting. That's what we did during the pandemic. But traffic was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I loved oh, it. We did love it. Stay you, home, people. You could go through Nashville. Yeah. Noon. Time. You could go through there. 35 minutes from start to finish, yeah. be done, hardly right. any traffic on the road at all. Mm-hmm. Now uh, you yeah, do- rush hour wasn't even rush hour. It was like yeah. rush 10 minutes. Yeah, that was, that was okay, it. I just developed a new conspiracy theory listening to you guys, and that is truck drivers started the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Clear so we could roads. clear the roads. Yeah. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> yeah. I plead the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> all right, where are we at? We, we keep we – keep, digressing and, and yeah. moving over to other areas and what are you interested in let's talk about that uh you know my big thing when i was doing this was getting the setup and the cameras and that's what got me wondering what kind of cameras and stuff y'all use because i've never gotten into that video aspect and now I'm seeing where I'm getting into it. Mm. And I mean, this is probably you, a novice setup. Um, no, I think, I think what you've got is kind of nice here. Uh, you've got a three camera setup. You've got a switchboard. I mean, this is, this is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Cause I researched this, uh, black magic design and actually for this little board right here, it's not that expensive. But it gives great quality. And if you go on their website, dude, they got boards that are, I mean, they're just massive joystick controllers and all that stuff. And that's what we got me wondering, what type of equipment do y'all use? I mean, is uh, for an indie company, are y'all like more scaled down or are y'all using the big old boards? And I know the software, the the software that came with this, I mean, you was talking about before the show. Yeah. Uh, it, basically, the same software y'all use for for video editing. 
We cut, uh, I'm cutting everything in DaVinci Resolve right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lori, my editor on Streets, she used uh, DaVinci Resolve to, to cut that film. I did the color grading in DaVinci as well. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that software is fantastic. I, I speak highly of that. Oh, um, I'd love to have the cameras. Their, yeah. their cameras are gorgeous. Yeah. yeah they, make, <laughs> they make really good cameras, too. Because yeah. these don't have the, their camera, bleh, their cameras have the little lights on top tells you what light what camera you're on oh they're studio cameras yeah yeah they're yeah, yeah. but they're like 4k and 6k mm -hmm. but this board this little board i'm running only runs uh 1080 mm -hmm. and i think it's like 1080 and 60p something like that so no matter what i put into it which is good enough i will say this we shot streets in 8k resolution uh most of the scenes we shot in 8k mm-hmm um, but we mastered the film in 2K. So that's a lot less Ks. And the reason is because our um, the companies our distributor works with wanted uh, a 2K or 1080p master file. Right. 4K for them was optional, but some of them wouldn't even take it. Well, that's what I was noticing because like on when you're uploading on YouTube and all that other stuff, a lot of the times the easiest file to get uploaded is just a regular 1080p. Mm-hmm. That's still, 2K is still kind of the standard for um, for viewing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas 4K has become the the acquisition format. Um, for a long time it was, like the industry standard camera, the mm -hmm. Arri Alexa, was a 2K camera. It couldn't okay. shoot 4K. Um, and that's why a lot of the Netflix movies were using the RED camera, because it could shoot higher resolutions. And they had a 4K minimum requirement for things they produce in-house. Is that the name of the camera, the red camera? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's the name of the, well, that's the name of the company that makes the camera, and they have different versions of it. Okay. Um, we used one called the Helium camera. It's a few years old now. Uh, they have a Komodo, which is a smaller little box camera. Okay. It's popular now. Um, so we shot three movies on that camera because Dustin, my DP, owned one. Ah. So it, it wasn't an aesthetic choice. It was just he had it. Right. And um, I saw some utility in using... 8K, um, and then reframing in post so that we could shoot a medium shot instead of a medium and a close-up. We could just shoot the medium and then use punch into a close-up if we needed one. Right. So I saw the utility of it. It wasn't about releasing the film in 8K or even 4K. I just saw some value in oversampling the image in order to... It was uh, a time saver as well. It was a time saver, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really was. Well, that's what I was, I was real concerned with because... A lot of the things that I was re researching, a lot of people were using just the regular steel cameras, and they were turning it to video. Yeah, DSLRs. Yeah. yeah, but then I noticed, like, okay, you're sitting here, you got a camera on you, but with those type cameras, if I moved back or I moved forward, they would not follow the focus. <laughs> and then you had to go through this whole process with each camera whether it was the same brand or not. And you had to go in there and physically set yeah, right every freaking yeah. camera. Yeah. And what turned me on so much about these, these are actually video cameras, Canons. Um, and this board, it doesn't matter what those cameras are set at. It comes into here and it processes everything down to the 1080. Yeah. 
And I love that. The focus issue you're talking about has to do with the sensor size too. Yeah. Um, the smaller the sensor, the more everything's going to be in focus. So if you look at news gathering cameras, mm-hmm. those big chunky things people use at like CNN junkets and whatnot. Yeah. Um, those have a small sensor. And the reason is because it's too hard to manually focus when people are moving and you're trying to capture a scene right. that's happening. Um, you can imagine you're covering a protest and there's people all over the place. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's going to be out of focus if you're shooting with a large sensor camera. Yeah. Uh, so these are ha- have uh, a smaller sensor, which is good for a podcast. That's what you want. Yeah. Um, for narrative, which I do, you want a larger sensor because you want to select where the focus point is. Okay. It's more immersive. You're telling the audience where to look. So okay. I can blur the background. I can blur the foreground. And it's all a very manual process. Although I, I won a camera in a short film competition. And it's a Sony FX3. It's, a, it's the smallest cinema camera in Sony's lineup. Mm-hmm. And um, it's got a, an autofocus where if you touch an actor's face just on the screen, yeah. it will lock focus on their eye. And it doesn't matter where they move, it will track them and keep them in focus even though it's a full frame, huge sensor camera. That's and, uh, pretty cool. That kind of stuff didn't exist a few years ago. Well, when you were talking about doing, you know, introverts anonymous and all that other stuff, uh, just in, I think just in the time that I've researched doing this and everybody telling me that I've had to do the video also, these six months time, I mean, they've already upped the game more than what I was looking at. So, you know, if y'all did that back in 2016, 2017, I mean, it's like a dinosaur now. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I, when I'm, uh, watching something with my wife or we're trying to find something to watch on Netflix and she sees the years like 2016, she's like, Oh, I don't want to watch an old movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think an old movie. Yeah. It's sad, but that's how bad. Yeah. Not really. I guess you can't really call it bad, but I mean, the leaps and bounds in the technology. I mean, just on the their website alone, the Blackmagic design, I mean, it is just astounding some of the gear they've got. Yeah, Blackmagic has a 12K camera. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and it's it's like six grand to buy the thing. Mm-hmm. And Which is unheard of. It's I mean, just that, insane. Yeah. With, yeah, and I don't know where this is going to go in five years because the turnover rate for new technologies is so fast now. Oh yeah. That it's almost every six months or something that's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, those, uh, they've got, uh, a 4k and Oh, just for the record, black magic design is not paying me anything. This is just my personal opinion on it. Um, the cameras they've got, the software that they're, you know, you buy something, you get the software pay a little bit of an upgrade and you get the whole package of the software. Yeah. But when I got into editing on some of the stuff and I had never seen this before in my life, but that whole color and it's a wheel and it, you just drag your mouse and it changes the colors of everything. I mean, it's got auto white auto this. I mean, you can just, you can do so much stuff with it. Mm hmm. And when I seen, you know, these streets, I was just like blown away. The, I mean, that's a great quality. Yeah. Yeah. Part, part of that comes from uh, what my DP, Dustin, did um, with camera, primarily shot selection and, and camera movement mm-hmm. actually matter more than what camera you're using, especially now. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, we shot that in 2018, but this was true even then. And that is, you know, the capture formats are what they are. They're all good now. Yeah. Um, it, but what you put in front of the lens matters a lot. So, um, I should never be on camera. So, well, <laughs> things like set design. That's why we put Lauren Perez in front of the camera. Yeah. We, we put actors who are. She was really good. Yeah, she's good. She's and, cute as can be. Yeah, and that other dude with oh. the baseball bat, man, he still cracks oh, me up. Yeah, Sam, yeah. Sam yeah. Brooks, yeah. He still cracks me up, man. He's, he's a busy actor. He is always yeah. busy doing something, yeah. And, and our lead, I mean, Matt Williams, he's uh, another one just uh, – he was actually – Matt was on uh, Introverts. He played opposite the lead yeah. character in Introverts. I mean, I guess you could say okay. co-star. And uh, – and he's, he's done. I'm yeah, actually, yeah. I met both actors volunteering on other movies. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, that's what I meant about kind of not. Yeah. That's how I so, met Lauren volunteering for Malise. Yeah. yeah. If you're only, if you're only thinking about yourself and your projects, you don't meet the right people. I think sometimes in, mm-hmm. in volunteering on other people's projects, you, you see kind of, Oh, I could collaborate with this person or I like what this actor did with this scene. Yeah. You know, and then you can just talk to them and say, hey, I've got a project coming up. Do you want to look at it? And that's how I found both my lead actors. And I, I kind of knew I wanted to work with those two on streets before I wrote the script. I had an idea for the story. Mm-hmm. But I said, let me write this for them. And I had made a short film. Um, I did made Introverts with Matt. And then with Lauren, we did a, a little musical for the 48-hour film project. Right. So I'd worked with both of them on shorter projects. And it got along just great. Now that shorter film project though, is that the the one we talked about before where they give you a Yeah a thing and you just go balls to the wall for yeah, twenty four hours or something exactly, like that? Yeah, you yeah, get forty eight hours, 48 hours yeah. to write, shoot, and edit and hand in your film and then they screen it and kinda judge it and Dude, whatever. you gotta make friends in the industry for that. Well, I think the the beauty of, of the collaboration that Jason refers to is we're not meeting these people through networking events where well, know, yeah. it's kind of like they put on their best face or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're actually You're meeting set. them in a, in a pressure chamber, yeah, basically. Exactly. And, and <laughs> the 48 hour film projects are pressure chambers. And you know, so yeah, you're really seeing them doing their craft and you're really getting a, a, a wonderful idea of how, you know, who this person is, how they respond and so forth. And, and the right. ones that I, the one that I met Matt on, I was just a volunteer. I was a script supervisor on it. And I met him. I said, oh, I like this guy. He's got a good look to him. He, you know, he's confident on camera. Um, he's from Pennsylvania, too. Was, I met Lauren, another one I was volunteering on. Right. And, um, and yeah, I think you have to help other people if you're going to ask for those favors. And as an indie filmmaker, you will be asking yeah. at oh, some yeah. point. Well, because, and again, it's relationships. We've talked about yeah. that so many times. I worked with Lauren on a 48-hour film project. She played my daughter. Right. You know, it, it was... We had a connection as a result of that. And this is what, what occurs. You know, you get these connections and it's almost serendipitous or fortuitous that, you know, you meet these people uh, and then you find yourself years later working with them. It's, it's and pretty not, cool. Not only Matt and Lauren, but uh, Dustin Hire. Oh, yeah. My, my DP for my last three movies. I met mm-hmm. him on a 48 project where we were both volunteering sure. for this other girl. So, uh, yeah, it's just like kind of our whole team for this feature we met by volunteering yeah. on the 48 so you pretty much add up through networking and friends and everything else you just kind of built this whole little team and then you was ready for the streets 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but I, it's not, it's not even networking. It's no, no, it's just, going into the trenches together to make something for somebody else. That's what we did. And in I a say way, that's awesome. In a way, it's networking, but you just bypass all the BS stuff. So you get right to the nitty <laughs> yeah, gritty. Yeah. Well, I know I met a young lady named Malise uh, at a um, shoot that we did in Franklin, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, for a, you know like a demo that we were going to use for a film that we wanted to pitch to people. Right. And I happened to be standard. She was script supervisor and I was, I don't even know what I was doing there to be honest with you. Um, I had just moved back to town. I knew that. And then, and so I was on set and, um, she just looked at me. She said, Hey, um, if, if you're available in August and this was in the dead of winter, uh, if you're available in August, she said, uh, I'm doing a 48 hour film project, which I had no idea what that was at the time. She said, um, maybe you could help on mm-hmm. the project. And uh, cause we had talked a little bit, so she knew I was an actor and whatever. But uh, so I said, yeah, you need me. I'm, I'm down. I said, you need a grip guy. You need whatever crafts. I don't care what it is. I'll help oh, you yeah. in any way I can. And, and ironically on that particular shoot, um, the, the funny story on that was the day, the day before we talked about, you know, what we were going to do, but we weren't sure who was going to do what exactly. Mm-hmm. All I knew was we had a core group of Jason Malise and, I don't know who all else, because I wasn't involved in a handful it. of people, yeah. handful Allison. of people that were going to kind of be, you know, brainstorming once they got the film concept and beginning to write a screenplay and so forth. Okay. So I just said, well, you know, whatever it is, let me know in the morning. And so I got a text message that next morning and you have to understand, um, Lauren was brought into town from Miami to be the lead in this particular project because Malise and her were close friends. So, um, Anyway, I got the text and the text essentially said, you know, bring your, uh, bring a suit and some, you know, dress clothes and your pajamas. You're the lead. And uh, I, a little, a little context. Yeah. So the way the 48 film thing works is Friday night, you get your genre. So horror, musical, drama, whatever. Oh, it is. okay. You yeah. get to pick from and two, then, two options. And that night, it usually happens like 7 PM that you draw it. And then you, so you start writing the story at that point and then for for this particular one i think i finished the screenplay at like three in the morning three or four in the morning and then you start shooting it right away and you edit all day sunday and deliver it and so we didn't have a story when he first volunteered and i thought okay we need extra hands he knows how to rig lights he can be a he can be a grip or a gaffer yeah yeah and uh but he's also an actor and uh so at like three in the morning i'd finish the script i'm like oh crap I have to tell Thomas that he's actually the lead actor or the co-lead in this project. <laughs> totally unprepared. He thought he was just going to come up and move lights, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so a, I sent him, just be a grunt. I sent yeah. him a text and I said, uh, bring some several changes of wardrobe yeah. and, uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but they, they forgot to get me a script though. Well, yeah. They show up on set with no script. Hey, it'll he be his, there when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> no, he shot his first scene without any idea what was going on. Yeah. That's the way I go through life most of the time. Anyway. So you do your pants. Yeah. Yeah. At, at one point I did speak up and say, uh, you know, I, is there a script for this? Oh yeah. Uh, could I get one? What? You didn't get a, no, I didn't get a script. Okay. I mean, the first scene was just a walkthrough. It was, you know, certain movements that I was directed to do and it was easy to yeah. do. But once I had to start talking, that was an issue. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't even know what the story was about. No, I had no clue. I was in, I was in every scene 
but I had no clue what I was. Th- you know, what. This is not this is not <laughs> uncommon on these forty eights because yeah, yeah. they're they're just chaos right. from start to finish. Right. And the, kind of the idea is you're not going to get a masterpiece out of these, but if you can finish the movie, yeah, you're doing something. Right? And somebody can watch it and not yeah. you know stab their eyeballs, then you <laughs> you won in my opinion. True. Exactly. Man, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it definitely was. He had yeah. he had more. I think more work uh, in terms of stamina than myself because he started way earlier than me. I was home sleeping, you know, Uh, but once I got there and we hit the ground running, it didn't stop until Sunday morning from Saturday morning till Sunday morning. It was a nonstop, uh, you know, experience. Yeah. Cause you got to have all your gear ready. You've got to have, once they give you the genre, you got to sit down there. You, they give you the location too, or y'all come up with that. You have to to find your own location, but they give you a prop in a genre. So, a prop could be like a shoe or whatever it is. You know, I forget what it was our yeah, year. I'm trying to you think remember? what it was. Well, like and an they, ink pen or something? Yeah. yeah. That you have to use. Because that essentially validates that this film is a current film, that you just filmed it. It's not something you pulled out of your, your you know, off your yeah. shelf and said, oh, oh okay. Yeah. And then there's ago. one line of dialogue you have to, that everybody has to have. It's okay. Well, there's, line. yeah, they're actually what? The name of the one guy, the that's realtor. That's right. That's right. You have to have a name. The realtor's okay. name had to be a specific name. And then, as an actor, I had a specific um, phrase that I had to put in there as well. Like and a tagline. Like mm-hmm. a tagline. This all validates that it's, you know. So every one of these films, and there were hundreds of them, had those same oh, man. The name and the tagline, in you know, contained within it. And you had to be creative enough to fit that in. Yeah. So it wasn't that complicated, but. But the, the chaos is kind of the fun of it. And I think it's why people do it. Yeah, you know, it's just if you can do it. If you can, yeah, it's I, a physical feat to we, stay awake for three days straight. <laughs> That's a hell yeah, of an should, adrenaline we rush. We should make up a T-shirt that says, "You know, I survived the forty-eight-hour <laughs> film project." Because that's. You know, that's what it's paramount to. I mean, you're but talking it, just nonstop. This is actually the 48, uh, not to harp on this too much, but that's what pulled me back into filmmaking. What I, because uh, Thomas and I kind of took a hiatus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I moved. I moved to Ohio, moved to Pennsylvania. He moved. I moved to the Philippines briefly. It came back. And then we weren't doing any film at all or had plans of doing film at that point. I was writing novels. And mm-hmm. I spent a few years writing six novels. Right. And I didn't want to go back to film. That's when you did the Lamp series. That's when I did the Lamp series. I wrote The Island of Ted and All American Addict, another another book. Um, I figured I'd just drive a truck like I've been doing for hey, 40, it makes 50 money. years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a hiatus. And then uh, I had a friend, my friend David Perry, called me. And he's like, he's like, hey, there's a 48-hour thing. I'm producing it for this this dude named Mott Key. He's really cool. Um, do you want to you volunteer? You could be a script super or something. And I said, I don't know. I don't want to do film again. And he said, just do it. Just do it this once. It's like, it's a crazy experience. You know, you'll have fun and getting on set just as a script supervisor, it just rekindled something. And I'm like, yeah, I remember why I like this. Mm-hmm. And even though, I, you know, everybody was tired and hungry and it just, you know, it was one of those things. Still, we're making know? film here. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're up at like three in the morning with a bunch of other people trying to make a scene work. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just it, it reignited something for me, and I was I was kind of forced into that project. I didn't want to do it. I was just like, ah, David talked me into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I met Matt Williams on that project, who was my lead in Streets, and um, I volunteered again the next year, or it might have been the year after that with with Melise. Mm-hmm. Met Lauren on that one, and I'm like, I have two lead actors now. Yeah. You know, are you rocking? Yeah. Yeah, but it's doing it's doing unconventional things though. It's sort of like. Um, we're not 
you know, going to casting agencies and saying, who do you got? I've done that for other things, but yeah, nothing that we've done has been conventional and, <laughs> and it's okay uh, because we've, we kind of figured out that the whole Hollywood thing is not, it's not where it's at for most of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost, almost the whole Hollywood thing. We tried that, right. When we first started doing film, we had to do, you know, actual film. We had to do this because this is what Hollywood does. Even our, our, our feature streets, uh, these streets we haunt, we, we kind of put it like, you know, like, well, we need this department, this department, this department, this department. Subsequently, after doing that film, a lot of reflection, Jason and I've come to the conclusion that we could do the same, same film with, you know, with uh, the same production value right. for about half the cost. Oh yeah. And reducing the, the amount we had, how many people on streets? There was a core team of six to seven, depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was relatively small, even for an indie film, yeah. you know, which might be like five to 12 people yeah. on set. Um, this is not counting actors, but just kind of the core crew and the team, the producing team. So we had, we had like six most days, I think, which is pretty small. Um, but but we on could the have, high side, we had sometimes what, 15, 20 people. Uh, not on that one. Uh, okay. No, no. Um, oh, we had a lot on, uh, on introverts, introverts anonymous. We yeah, had, it was crazy. We had a pretty big team on introverts and our musical that we did with Lauren, which was a 48 hour project. Right. We yeah. had like 35 people on set or something, but that didn't cost us any money. No, you're not allowed to pay people on, right. on those 48 projects. Right. Oh, so it's kind of like all volunteer stuff. Oh yeah. All volunteers. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is wild. Yeah. We had, we had kids coming and I say kids cause they were all in their twenties. Uh, I was the grandpa there on set. Um, these kids come, what come from Colorado and I mean, and Lauren came from Miami and they were coming from all over the country to do this 48 hour film project thing for no money for no money. Yeah. And, and you know, kids, they're looking for a good time an adventure. And, yeah. and it was, I mean, it was an adventure. It really was. Well, that's something I've noticed, you know, it's, it's like what we were talking about, the, the way the technology has come forward with the cameras the audio, this setup I've got right here, uh, I would need an audio engineer. I'd need a video producer. Yeah. And I'd, I'd need three people. You need th- camera operators too, probably. Well, yeah. I, uh, the bigger cameras back then, yeah, I would have yeah. to have three different cameras. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have a... You'd a have a big crew, crew here. Yeah, you'd have a crew. You know, yeah. hey, y'all working for free. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you always remember to feed them. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that. We, we've well. got cakes, yes. cookies. Uh. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't say kill them. I said feed them. <laughs> <laughs> Cake and cookies. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, I want to see some of those cameras you got, though. Yeah. We're going to have to get I can, together. I can bring them next time. Yeah. Um, the uh, I don't know what Dustin's shooting on these days because we haven't... Um, worked on anything for a while he's, he's been working but i haven't done any film stuff for a while other than some some short films uh but i can yeah i can we can talk camera stuff i love it mm-hmm. yeah i think the last yeah, thing right. dustin worked on was uh that i know of anyways i'm sure he's done stuff since but it was uh, oh, he's done kid, rock. kid rock he did uh, yeah he shot a kid rock music video yeah kid yeah. Rock music video yeah we were talking about that uh-huh. on the on the phone one day yeah yeah. Yeah. Quite. A, I mean, Sam Brooks, who played Pedro in the film, he's gone on to do some stuff. He's on a CW show. Yeah. CW. Star Girl. He was in a Netflix that. movie. Um, yeah. He's a lot of these people are, are moving up in the world, you know, <laughs> which is cool. Hey, more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you we, know. we love to see it. I mean, you know, just 
it's always exciting to see somebody growing mm-hmm. and, and following their, their dreams. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I want to talk more about, you know, these streets we haunt. Yeah. And ask away. Basically, I want everybody to know straight up. Y'all can link all this stuff through streetsofficial.com. It goes straight to the movie, uh, books, the everything. books, and all kinds of stuff. Merchandise as well. Eventually. Well, we're doing the merchandise and stuff. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, there you go. We, we actually, uh, Thomas actually hooked me up with a real good guy, and hopefully we'll have our pages up and people can uh, buy some merch. I'm I'm going to come up with some ideas for some different shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So maybe some people will enjoy my little quips or something, you know. Right. We're a bit late to the game on the merchandise. Yeah, stuff. we are. The movie's been out for a year and a half, and yeah. we're just now getting coffee mugs. But you know right. what? We're learning. That's right. Hey, it's, it's fun. All a process. Yeah. I like the fun of it. Just you know, putting stuff together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what, uh, you know, I've, uh, the business cards you gave me, I've yeah. been giving them out to people and people have been watching the movie and I've actually had friends of mine go, you know, Hey, that's a hell of a movie. These were two indie guys out of Nashville. And I'm like, well, yeah. So, I mean, everybody's just the quality of the show is what blows me away the most. That's why even people who, who didn't really dig the story said, it looks like a movie. You made a real movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, what did yeah. you think I was doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, they have no concept. They, they, yeah. You know, look, a truck driver and a, and what do you call yourself anyway? What do you mean? Well, on your Professionally? Job, your job, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of on the IT side. So, okay, okay. A truck driver and an IT guy get together. This sounds like a joke, right? <laughs> yeah. And they, and they and make they, a thriller. And then they make and a thriller. And they walked into a coffee shop. <laughs> they walked into a coffee shop and made a thriller. You know, what, what can you expect, right? You're thinking, oh, yeah, right. That sounds like a real winner there. Mm-hmm. But then when people see it, they go, oh, my God, that's like a real movie. I'm going, yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I mean, when I was doing the music business stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I was driving the truck Monday through Friday. Right. Weekends, I'm doing lights and sound all over Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it wasn't unheard of for somebody to, you know, you ran into somebody, you talked to them, you know, you compared notes on some stuff. Mm-hmm. Say I set up to do a, a sound show. I got a cable this long. Dead. Yeah. I got no way to fix it. Mm-hmm. Music stores are closed at 8, 9 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. I can't get it one. And the only thing I got is three guys' phone numbers on my phone going, dude, where are you at? <laughs> I need that yeah. cable. Yeah. And within 30 minutes, one of those guys would show up. Nice. Mm. But you had to be there for them, too. I mean, it was a, it was yeah. a great yeah, give and take. camaraderie yeah. that came together. And that's what y'all were talking about, you know, just through the music and the music industry myself. There was a lot of times I could not have done some of the stuff I did right. if I didn't have those guys there. Mm-hmm. And it was a great thing. So these streets we haunt, when we was talking earlier, streets is not off the books. It's a derivative of one of the books. It It is set in the same world as the books. So the same mythology is present, right. but we're just following different characters. Okay. So that's kind of the idea. It's sort of the way if you see a prequel to a movie that you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're set in the same world, but they're following a different thing. Right. Yeah. If you, if you read the books, you'd be like, really "Well, that's why I'm quite, gonna get the books, yeah, man." It I gotta quite read relate it. to it, but it, it oh does. no, the, if you if you read if you read the novels, it'll explain a lot more about what you're seeing. And if you 
uh, it, it works both ways too. If you right. watch the movie first and then you, you see the, or read the books, you'll get something out of it that you didn't get if you didn't, oh, yeah. you know, um, either watch it or read it. They, they work together. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't make the film hoping people would read the novels because I spent a lot of time on them and I think they're valuable. They actually agreed. What yeah. I find fascinating though is in your mind, okay, you've wrote this series of books and then you decide to make a movie and you pull this like a sub story out of one of the books mm-hmm. and, and then you create this feature film out of it just out of the blue. I mean, I just, I find that fascinating. What what I did was, uh, I couldn't film the series, the, the novel series. It was just too expansive and too big. The mm. world was too too expensive to put well, on film. Um, well, I imagine with that genre, it'd be like astronomical on set design. You, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do it. It's a dystopian world. You wouldn't be able to do it on a, on a micro budget. Right. Um, so I thought, well, okay, well, I can take maybe the mythology of the villains from this story mm-hmm. and what they're all about and just extracted out of that world. Yeah. Because what I, what I explored in the, in the novels, um, and less so in the movie, um, is this idea that evil is not, it does, evil doesn't appear to you as evil. It's always attractive. Well, yeah. So if it, if something appeared to you as obviously wrong, you wouldn't do it. Nobody would do it. No, that's but why the, I'm divorced three times. But, so, the, the fact that, that, yeah, but the the dark side, so to speak, if it didn't come to you as presenting as attractive, you'd never pay it any attention. Yeah, and so I wanted to say, okay, well, what is what is uh, attractive about this world? You know, of of these villains mm-hmm. and are they the villains in the novels you kind of don't know for a long time who the villains are and who the good guys are okay um because both worlds uh have something appealing about them you know right. and i wanted the the characters who are going through this journey to be pulled to both sides the whole time and even leave the the reader wondering kind of who who is the good side here now you find out very clearly in the last book yeah um but that tension that I wanted to explore with these characters is a tension that uh, I feel, you feel, you know, when a, a challenge or something that um, obviously isn't good for us right. presents itself, you know, it's, there's something attractive about it or you'd never go toward it. Right. So what do you do with that? That's kind of the idea that I was exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause when I, when I first seen it, I was, uh, the thing that pulled me in the most to the movie was actually the very first part of the movie all the way up to when she rented that apartment from that guy. Cause there was a, a mystique about all of that. You know, what's so important about, you know, this girl. And that's what drew me in to watch all of it. And then of course, once it all got rolling real good, I was just like, wow, you know, I love this. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you like those themes and you kind of like that world, the novels will give you way way more of that. You know, because when you write novels, it's different because you have an unlimited budget. It's just your imagination, mm-hmm. and uh, we go to some crazy places in the novels. Oh so, yeah, very inexpensively. Very oh yeah, inexpensive. yeah. It's just paper. It's a beautiful thing. Find right. a publisher, put it up. You're good. <laughs> well, that's another interesting point too, um, with regard to. 
getting our film out there. I think that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, little tidbit because we, you know, we're nobodies. We, we don't have connections in LA and so forth, but we just kind of threw them out there. I mean, uh, Jason put together a bio and uh, what, my, the trailer you sent and, for the distributor, you mean? Yeah, for the yeah. I put I did a lot of research on which distributors actually paid the filmmakers. Mm. It sounds it's an important ridiculous. concept, yeah. But it is. It's a rarity that um, the the money owed to the filmmaker won't be lost in creative accounting or something like that. Right, it happens all the time. And um, there's realize. a filmmakers forum where a bunch of filmmakers get together and they talk about their experiences with different distributors. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of weed out the bad ones. This one would say, oh, they, they promised me this. There was an 80000 expense cap, blah, blah, blah. I never saw a dime, even though the movie was number one on iTunes or something. Yeah. And so um, out of that list, I sent the film to several people. It wasn't right for most of them, uh, but there was one called Indie Rights. Mm-hmm. And Indie Rights um, had a good reputation for paying the filmmaker, and they were completely transparent with their books. That's meaning, good. Meaning I'm... I not only get to see what my film made on every platform each quarter, I get right. to see what all of the films in their catalog make. So, oh, so you get an overview of analytics. Open. Exactly. Yeah. And so I get to see what kind of movies are doing well and where they're doing well. And the reason they do this kind of thing, one is just, they would want to be honest, but also it helps the filmmaker make their next film because mm-hmm. you see what's doing well, you know, yeah. not that you're chasing trends, but it does help to have a bird's eye view of kind of like the landscape of where the audiences are. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think mainly because most any screenwriter, filmmaker, whatever has got numerous um, ideas in their, in their portfolio. So it's not all, you know, one area necessarily. And so when you see that particular rundown, you go, you know what, I've got a film that would be great in this particular uh, you know area. And uh, obviously right now they seem to be doing very well. So I might want to consider doing that and i think indie movies are doing better now than some of the big name guys some of them are i've seen the data i know exactly what some of those are making and it's mind-blowing yeah and yeah. A, a lot of ones a lot of good films right now are falling through the cracks too just because there's a, a glut of content ah. just, the barrier to entry is so low now that a lot of really bad cheap films are getting made mm-hmm. so the good cheap films are it's harder to stand out of the crowd. So you almost have to start thinking about, you know, your audience before you write the script. Right. And is it an audience? Is it one that exists? Mm -hmm. You could get this in front of, uh, with streets. I didn't do that. Um, one thing is I, I thought that the, I thought there'd be more crossover between the readers of the novels and maybe a film based around that mythology. Right. That's not so much the case because people who read like to read in their spare time. They well, don't yeah, like you create movies. that movie in your mind while you read. Yeah, and people who like thriller movies maybe don't like to read thriller novels, you know. And so, I thought there would be a crossover there, but I haven't. Se- I've seen the data, and there's not crossover. <laughs> so, people who like to read stick to books. People who who spend their time watching movies tend to like watching movies. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Well, with Netflix and chill and everything else going on now, I mean, nobody's going to the movies anymore. They're just doing it right there at the house. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, if you notice what's coming out in theaters right now 
it's it's just tentpole movies, mm-hmm. you know, um, high dollar stuff that maybe would be more enjoyable to watch on a big screen. Yeah. Uh, but they also have day and date releases, which is just when the movie comes out in the theater, it's also available on streaming, some streaming platform the same day, like HBO Max. Yeah. But um, now that you've got all the gear and everything, if, if you was to start, say... February 1st. Give me three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Give you three weeks. It's better than you, 48 hours. That's right. You started a movie February 1st. You've already got the good gear. You've already got this great mind that just comes up with stuff. You could probably do a script, have everything ready. And turn out another good quality movie like Streets. Say Streets 2. <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of people asking about that, actually. I've actually had people ask me about it, too. Yeah. That's why I rung it up. I get messages and emails about it. Where people say, when's the, when's the, when's the, uh, when's the next one coming yeah. out? And yeah. I'm like, well. Well, I mean, the way you did it in the movie and, and the characters... It all led up to that very last part of the movie. And I can tell you right now, everybody I know, they all sat there and went, when's the next one coming out? I got to see what happened, you know? That was intentional. And if you read the novel series, other than the first book, they kind of each end on a bit of a cliffhanger. And so you're like, oh, crap, I got to buy the next one. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things, like, if you make a sequel to something, there has to be enough interest in it. And there is interest in it, just not enough for me to warrant the the expense of it. And, that, you know? and it's not just, yeah, we have the equipment. I have lights, I have cameras, I have, you know, um, resources. It's, it's pretty much just a monetary business. You're still, you're still. Yeah, now you're back down to the, the monetary. Revenue, yeah, the yeah. revenue that we're yeah. generating off of streets currently, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's great, but it's not really warranting film and you know and the expense that's involved yeah if the movie had made back its budget the first month or the first week then i'd be like oh there's definitely interest here mm-hmm. you know but um the fact that it's making money but it's not doing it's not a blockbuster yeah. you know that would say that i'm i'm one of those guys and i watched it and i'm with the other people and they're all with me and i'm just like dude Okay, you made twenty bucks on the first one, but I'm telling you, <laughs> if you make the I'm next one, you're gonna get you your money back. Yeah. You pop this second yeah. one off, just right out, just boom, you're gonna get a hundred and fifty bucks in three weeks after it comes out. Yeah, I mean that's just me, and that's that's possible. It's just a matter of convincing um, the people holding the money. I, I understand what you're saying. Whereas if you have the resources, just go make it. You know, but. Um, there are things you can't really get around. Um, well, you got that licensing and all that other stuff. And not even not even that really. It's it's more so you're paying actors. Um, you're you're paying your, even if you have a shrunk down crew, which I prefer. You're still paying them. Uh, yeah. You're still feeding everybody, and you're still usually paying for locations if you want halfway decent locations. Yeah. And that alone, at a minimum, is going to cost you the the chunk of the budget. 
Well, it all depends. I know some realtors. We can, I can find you some locations. Give me some numbers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk. That's as good as resources. Also, good like if. Money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I need is an honorable mentioning yeah, at yeah. the very end. You got it. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. actually, that's what I meant by kind of money versus resources because they're the same thing. Yeah. What you spend money on is resources, mm-hmm. you know, and if you have the resources, you don't need the money. There's a bare minimum you still need, but it, it shrinks considerably when you have enough resources. Yeah, that's my big thing. I mean, even with this, I had that upfront cost. Then I had that research and development and my boo-boos cost. And then I'm down to a very small little thing, you know, as far as continuing the podcast and all that, you know, you got to pay that little hosting fee and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think you could offset all of that by just doing voiceover work. Well, <laughs> I'm, I am available. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, I actually do other voices too. And, and, uh, I mean, you tell me what you want, I'll do it. Yeah. The, the people watching this don't know, but his, his dad is Sam Elliott. Yeah. There you go. go. Look him up. Yeah. You know, and that's what's weird. My dad, he had this voice too. Mm-hmm. He had a deep manly voice and he, when I was thinking, I think I was like 13, 14 years old. He sang in the church choir. Every Sunday, man, Baritone he was up there, you know, and it was, out, he was belting them out, yeah. you know, and then of course I hit that age and, you know, certain things dropped and things happened <laughs> and, right. um, my voice wasn't as deep as his, but I was just a little bit above his. Mm-hmm. And we were up there harmonizing like crazy in the church choir. Be there. And I loved it. But then over years, you know, I just, my family would always tell me, you know, hey, you got this voice, dude. You need to do something, mm-hmm. you know. And I just, uh, if it wasn't for you and Eric, and uh, after I met, you know, Mr. Cunningham, uh, I am where I am right now and I'm hoping to make it bigger and better. And I just enjoy it now. It's a, it's a great little fun thing to do. I just have a lot of fun out of it. Yeah. Great way to spend a day. Yeah. You know, it, you know, beats going out and hitting bars and running lights and, you know, putting a lot of money into something that you're not ever going to get it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. You get it. It's the, it's the, artist's kind of um condition <laughs> you know what i mean you 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 find something valuable that other people are like oh, okay and you're like no this is my thing i think this is my thing I well like i this. you know i do announcing every now and then when i was you know doing lights and sound you know introduce the next guest or you know introduce this band or you know, i did some of that every now and then and it was fun but it just i i didn't i never thought anybody really liked my voice and I was not a fan. I was just, you know, it, yeah. it's my voice. Yeah, nobody, you nobody know, likes their own voice. I'm, I'm yeah. obvious, like when I listened to that last podcast, I think I texted Thomas and I said, I sounded like a squirrel on helium. <laughs> I said, I, I envy you guys. You got <laughs> uh, the manly voice. I have a deep voice. Not, not, not like well, there was audio problems with that last one that we that tried wasn't to the do. Issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, your voice actually, uh, I like your voice. I like Thomas's voice. And it's the ones that squeak, the real squeaky ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one voice. I can't even remember her name. Maybe you shouldn't say it. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to say it, but it, it, the accent 
that was with it and everything was just annoying. Not good. Yeah, it, it was a female actress, and I'm I'm real bad with those things. It just kind of gets on my nerves. Sure, I think we all have some of that. Yep. So everybody needs to go to Streets Official. They need to uh, send Jason or Thomas a message saying, part two, please. Yes. And if they'd like to be an extra in one of our films, they can hit the contact us info and give us their name and email and uh, we'll hit them up when we do our next feature. You know what I'd consider doing is everybody who wants to see a sequel, if they all donated into a (laughs) pot. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you could take, um, they've got things now like buy me a coffee or you know they can send to a venmo account make donations they can do all kinds of stuff now there's a lot of people doing it yeah i mean we've we've been so uh conditioned that um we don't like asking for that we're old school just soon do it ourselves and not only that but we're a little it sounds so strange coming from guys like us who are nobodies but we're very selective too about potential investment money Mm -hmm. we're not going to take money from anybody you know, it, it kind of depends what your mindset is too. If you're in alignment with what we're trying to do, then we'll talk to you. Otherwise, we'll just do everything ourselves. You know. If yeah, but then you got somebody wanting. To, okay, I'm gonna write you a check for a million dollars. I want my granddaughter in it, and I want such and such FaceTime. I want these words said, and here's all the other stipulations I've got, or you don't get that check. And it doesn't, uh, that's, well, doesn't necessarily that's mean that we couldn't do that, but it, it's, you know, you'd have to look at it case by case, right? To me, that's a sellout. Oh, it, it is. I it's agree, big time. I'm just saying yeah. some people would look at it and go, okay, well, does your granddaughter, can she act? And, you know. No, she things, can't. Oh, well, <laughs> forget about it. That's all I got to say. No, because, yeah. no, because it's not going to, it's not going to help my reputation to make a million dollar film that sucks. Yeah. It's going to hurt. Yeah. You well, know? you got to have pride. We okay. talked about that. On, on that same note, um, the part that Phil Valentine played in our film, initially Jason wanted me to play, and I read the part, and quite frankly, I just wasn't, I don't know, just wasn't feeling it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how we got helped over to, to uh, talking about Phil. Uh, we talked about it. I said, you know, Jason, I'm just not feeling. It. I said, but you know, who'd be great for this part. And he said, who? I said, Phil Valentine. <laughs> he said, seriously? I said, yeah. He said, do you know him? I said, well, I've met him, but we're not like buds. And uh, I said, let me hit him up and see. So I did, and and he did, and, you know, the rest is history. And I did make him audition. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, you got to. But my point was simply, I looked at Jason and said, look, I don't think I'm the guy for this role, and since it's our film, I don't want to mess it up. I want to get the very best that we can get, and if that means me bowing out, I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah. Just because I'm co-owner of the company and I could put myself wherever I want to, doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do so uh you know fortunately that's uh, that's where we ended up with uh, phil valentine thankfully I, I you know everybody missed a big thing of it so i mean what are you gonna do are you gonna make me another movie or are you gonna play around i mean you gotta do streets too man i'm telling you if if there's enough interest and by interest i mean financial interest <laughs> i have to then- as well He's trying to sneak away for a bathroom break, but that's not, you know. You know what? That's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll do the same. Well, you can't just hold leave da- me on. Hold the, down the fort, Jason. This means he's going to have to edit this Tell project. him about your, your piano playing. 
I don't play the piano. These old men, they can't hold their bladders. Ah. All right. This is uh, going to be considered dead air because uh, I don't know how to host without a guest. I have no This guy. I don't know who this is. Sir, how did you get in this condition? It's creepy. Your eyes are weird. Let's see what else is over here. Um, I wish you guys could see what I see. It's kind of cool. There's there's three cameras. Uh, there's an there's a cool looking audio board. I can see my meters right now. Uh, my levels seem good. Um, check one, check two, and he's back. <laughs> you miss you miss him in thrilling uh, stuff there. Some thrilling stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed uh, Lieutenant Grayskull here. He's he's not much on words. I got to apologize to y'all because it was like, we've been sitting here for two hours talking. And uh, I was trying to be nonchalant about it and kind of sneak away. And, of course, Eric screwed me up. And I wrote this. I said, I got to go, man. And at the same time, <laughs> Thomas had to go as well, leaving me. You're just sitting here. Yeah, I heard that. I was like, no, Thomas, give me five seconds, you know. Y'all got to coordinate your bladders next time. This is I know. Cool. He, he's, you can suggest to him just one little thing, and he's got to go. I know. Yeah. Now, he's crazy. now I have to go because you guys are talking about it. Well, I mean, you know, let's say I had it on a good camera angle, and, of course, he screwed it all up, took off. <laughs> there we go. Man, he's killing me. Look, look, look. Don't don't edit this out. You gotta leave all this. I'm, I am leaving this in. Come on, you it's mooch. Gold. Come on. <laughs> this is yeah. what the people come for. Use guys, man. I'm 66 years old. <laughs> I did the best I could do. Go easy on me. Have we been going two hours? Is that real? Yeah, seriously. Oh god. Okay. Well, last time when we did it, it was like an hour and 15, and you were like, "It's been an hour already." And I'm like, "Yeah, dude." Yeah, yeah. When you start going, man. That's what I love about it. I mean, just sit down and have a conversation with people. You learn a lot of good Actually, stuff. At my age, when you start going, sometimes you stop and then you go again. And yeah, then you well, stop you and know. You go again. Yeah, we were a little bit scattered, but I think that's the way conversations go, though. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like if, you, if we were sitting here playing cards. Hey, you got to go. You got to go. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or we started talking about this, and now this is more interesting. Let's go over here. Yes. And explore yeah. this idea. I, for it's a just the way it is. Yeah. And I think. Uh, I think that really gets back to honestly something that a lot of people are missing nowadays, especially with the COVID and everybody being home and everything else. You don't really get to hear a lot of conversations. You got a lot of this going on. Well, yeah, you know, and the sad part about it is Simon and Garfunkel wrote a song about that. Oh, did they? Yeah. Which it says specifically in the song. If you listen to the sound of silence. Oh, the sound of silence. It says stop staring at your iPhone. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> it says heads are bowed to the neon God we made. Oh, okay. I, I mean, do remember that lyric. Yeah. It's what right, was he talking about? Yeah, what was he referring to? It's a neon glow. Whenever you see somebody. cell phones back then. When they no, but you do now. Yeah. 
And what are everybody doing? You're saying, you're saying um, Paul Simon was a prophetic. Uh, pro- prof- prophet. <laughs> he was a prophetic individual, yeah. <laughs> Paul prophetic. the prophet. We talking about Paul Simon or Paul the, uh, yeah, or Roman. Gar- what was his name? It doesn't matter. Garfunkel was his name. <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Well, it's. I'm a firm believer that a lot of people they write things and they create things. Right. Kind of like what Jason does. You know, he he creates books and movies, and it, there's a vision there. And I do believe that a lot of lyricists and writers in some shape, fashion, or form, can foretell a lot of things that are coming. We are the new prophets. Yes, no, yes. the new prophets starring you. Well, you know what's funny, though? They, I've heard that you know if you go back and you read like Isaac Asimov and these old science fiction writers, mm-hmm. stuff they're describing is actually kind of like iPads and things that we're yeah. using now, and it's like fiction created the reality we're in. It's, yeah. it's, I'll, I'll tell my wife that sometimes, uh, you know, uh, like we're living in the future yeah. because there's like AI now. Um, oh yeah. There's more Teslas driving around, you know, my neighborhood than there are like Toyotas. I'm like, mm-hmm. This is just the future. This is, we're living in the future, but all this stuff is like, you know, you can find it in old literature. Yeah. It's uh, everywhere. Yeah. You know, and I describe this. Well, I mean, uh, a little bit of a throw out, uh, Dave Mustaine. Some of the stuff that he has wrote, I mean, you know, Peace Sales, who's buying? And then uh, Symphony of Destruction. If you listen to those, I mean, it's like, dude, that stuff's been happening in the world here way after he wrote it. Yeah. You know, and Iron Maiden's a big one, of course. I'm a big Iron Maiden fan. I love a lot of their stuff. But they do more of kind of like a history I mean, if you listen to an Iron Maiden song, you're listening to a history. You go over onto the other side, and you got a lot of people that are singing about stuff that hasn't really happened yet, but it's coming to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it prophetic. Or prophetic. How do you say that? Prophetic? I, I would say prophetic. Prophetic? I think it depends prophetic. how pretentious you are. Yeah, yeah. It really doesn't matter. Prophetic, prophetic. Eh, you know. I, I say prophetic. Pro- there you go. Tomato, tomato. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> well, we've had our pee break. Now what are we going to do? I don't know. I'm pretty relaxed right now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of enjoying myself. Yes, yeah. speak for yourselves. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, uh, There's a famous quote from Alfred Hitchcock where he said that the length of a film should be directly tied to the, to the um, what did he say, the... Uh, how how long you can hold your bladder? Oh yeah, but, yeah. Oh <laughs> but man, but it depends on your age too. You know? Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Cameron's putting out these three hour movies, and nobody's bladder can last. No, that no. Long. In fact, I, I have to admit, I struggled when we showed our film at the theater at the uh, uh, premiere six in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. I uh, I couldn't I couldn't make it through the entire film. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to get that. up and go to the bathroom. Oh yeah. You know, and uh, and our film's what an hour and forty. Yeah, you know, or an hour and forty-seven, whatever. But yeah, I felt really bad um, because I, you know, I had not seen the film up until that point. Yeah. You know, so. Now is that weird for you? I mean, you go in, you 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 do the acting. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got certain parts, but then when it's all done, I mean, you don't really know 
how well you did on it or anything else, and you just got to wait for the final product to come out. Yeah, what's it like watching a final cut of something when you didn't see any iteration of it? I was always curious about that. Well, first off, in this particular film, The Streets We Haunt, I I had a very minor role. I was uh, I played the father of the lead character, and right. I was in a montage. He was in so a, I, he I had hugged no somebody or anything. I was just sitting there drinking wine and eating lasagna, right. and it was a family gathering. But it's on something like Streets, where you uh, you don't see it until you see the final version of it. Yeah. Um, well, that was on purpose, though, because you know when we sp- I talked about it earlier. Um, I told Jason, "This is yours. I want you." to do your thing. I want this to be at, at the end of the day, your, your vision. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, in a way, you know, not truthfully, but it sounds like in a way I was like copping out. Right. Uh, it's like, this is on you, buddy. You know, if it goes to crap, it's all you, but it wasn't that it was really uh, trying to be a, a learning, um, you know, situation where I'm saying, you know, you can't blame anybody for this project. Um, you know, I'll provide a percentage of the funding and moral support and whatever else you may need. But beyond that, I'm not going to critique it. I'm not going to tell you what to do, how to do it. It, it, it. Regardless of I'm on set or not on set, I'm not putting my two cents in. Yeah. My, my wife was the same way too, because obviously it was our finances involved with it. She didn't even read the script. She had no idea what the story was until she saw the premiere in the theater. Right. Yeah. And wow. that's the same thing with me. I mean, I knew, you know, what, what the screenplay was and so forth, but Again, until I saw it. And so when I saw it, you know, first off, I mean, they floored me when they had, which is unrelated, but it still, it means it, it meant a lot to me. Uh, my wife, you know, passed away mm-hmm. in 2020, uh, had a massive heart attack and she was my world and yeah. she worked her ass off on that film as did she work on other films that we've done. She's been there by my side for years mm-hmm. doing whatever it took, bookkeeping, right you name it okay she script supervisory catering it didn't matter whatever i needed she was there and she was supportive and so you know at the end of the film when they're running credits i saw that they put in there and i didn't know this they put a uh, in memory of you know and my wife her name was karen uh, for those of everybody that doesn't know her didn't know her um and but she had a voice to me that was so sweet and mm-hmm. so, so innocent. And to me, it was like a little birdie, like a little chickadee, you know? Yeah. And so I used to call her peeps, mm-hmm. you know, and for whatever reason it, it stuck because other people would hear me say it. I didn't even stop and think. I just call her peeps in public. And yeah. eventually my mother would say to me things like, um, Oh, Hey, how's peeps doing? You know, or, or she'd say, <laughs> Hey, peeps called me. I had a nice conversation with her the other day or whatever. Right. And people on set were calling her, hey, Peeps, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they had a thing in memory of Karen Peeps Marino. Sweet. And See, I never it, knew that meant anything to you. Oh, never no. told me. me. Man, I, I, I'm just I, hiding out. You know, I cried, man. I mean, I did because that was, you know, that woman was undaunting. And mm-hmm. She was by my side and, and she could argue, oh, my God, we could get into, she was very stubborn just like me. And we would get into these these opposing opinion yeah. conversations that, um, you know, in fact, Greg, the, uh, the fellow that, uh, that produced this and the mugs and so forth, he's been a good friend of mine for many years. Um, he was privy to, you know, a lot of what was going on in, in you know, in my wife and my relationship, you know, just mm-hmm. because he was around a lot. 
and he would see us having these moments, you know, where, where we'd get, I'm Italian. So I'd get loud and, and she was Italian, you know, uh, she was not even remotely Italian, but she was Italian by proxy because she, she was, got, she was Irish though, which is kind of in some ways Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she would get just as loud as me and, and Irish the, are stubborn and hard headed. Oh too, yeah. So. And the hand movements and what, and so we'd get into these heated, uh, you know, disagreements or whatever you want to call them. They weren't arguments cause they were nothing hateful about them. But I remember uh, one time he told me afterwards, he said, we were in a group of people and we got into this thing. And it wasn't, you know, like ridiculously crazy, but, but people were a little, little as we say in Italian, a little nervous, you know, they were getting yeah. nervous because like, what the heck's going on here? Are they somebody getting ready to hit somebody or whatever? And, and they said something to get, to Greg and Greg looked at me, and says, oh no. He said, they're fine. He said, trust me, they're just communicating. Oh yeah. This is the way they do it. Uh -huh. And it was true because the thing that, that endeared her to me when we were, you know, in, before we got married was we would have one of these disagreements that would get very, very loud. And like five minutes after we were done, she'd look at me and she'd say something like, so what would you like for supper? Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This is beautiful yeah. because she doesn't hold a grudge. She's not going to make me pay for this disagreement. And, and she gets you. She got me. Yeah, it was totally yeah. that way. So anyway, all that to say that, you know, that I was sad that she didn't get to see the final product. Yeah. Uh, she worked her tail off, but she didn't get to see the final product. But, you know, it was so, to me, touching. Oh, when yeah. I saw that on the screen. And uh, as long as that film's out in the ether, it's going to be. It's know, there for everybody. It's there forever, you know, in memory of Peeps, you know, Karen Peeps Marino. Yeah, because so. it's digital. It's yeah. out there. Yeah, it, it meant a lot to me. It really did. I, I didn't realize that I what, didn't. What sucks is she never got to see the movie, even though she yeah. was a producer on it. Yeah. She uh, saw the trailer, you know, and then she passed right before the uh, the final cut was, was locked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's sad. Now, for me personally, it was, it's been a great loss. I mean, my life is, is, you know, is much, you know, more difficult and arduous and empty and so forth. Um, but oh, we can call and argue with Eric every now and then. Well, we can, to. we can, but you know, the thing <laughs> of it is, is it'll give me, uh, you know, every experience in my life. And I've had a lot of, a lot of upheaval and trauma and whatever, like everybody does. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't escape this thing, right. Without some kind of issues or trauma. But I, I use those things to pull uh, when I'm when I'm acting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's that's why for me acting is very real, because mm -hmm. the emotions that I that I emote are emotions that are my emotions. They're real, and and in some cases, you know, Jason, he's kind of got an upper hand because he knows my history. Right. He knows my story, and so when he's writing various things, he knows how to hit the buttons. And he doesn't do it on purpose. And sometimes yes, he's actually, well, maybe, but there are times, I mean, he'll say to me something like, Hey, um, you know, this is going to be pretty intense. The way I wrote it, you know, are you cool with it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I, I am because that's reality. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to, to communicate. Right? We did end up kind of scrapping one idea for our next feature that, that I kind of, you know, didn't base on Thomas, but it was written for Thomas. Yeah. And um, it was a little too close to home. And so maybe when there's some distance, we can revisit that project. Yeah, you got to put that time in. Yeah. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been an issue of me getting him into character. It would have been, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I'm, I live there. You know, it's my neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're a character in yourself. Yeah. 
he he always said that to me, and I I never could really figure that out. You know, you just yeah, you're a character. Yeah, just by yourself. Yeah. If enough people tell you that, you might want to listen. Might want to listen. Okay. Yeah. All right. My mom used to. <laughs> she tell me all the time. She's like, "You're just like your uncle sometimes," and I said, "Who?" I got two uncles. Yeah. She said, "You are just like Virgil," and I said, "Excuse me." She said, "Yeah, you will argue with a stop sign," <laughs> and I said, "Look, if that stop sign don't need to be there." then I do not see red. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going. Okay. Remind me not to drive with you. Yes, yes, exactly. That was when I was younger. <laughs> okay. I was a rebel. Virgil wore, wore off, huh? Well, I was a rebel with a 67 Mustang Fastback. So, I mean, I'm going to go. Yeah. yeah. Is, now, is Virgil going to listen to this? No, actually, okay. uh, Virgil passed away. Oh, sorry to hear that. I think about, I can't remember exactly how many years ago. Three or four years ago. Maybe five. But he was he was a character in himself. I mean, he would if he was had this idea in his head, and this is the way it was, and he firmly believed that he would sit there and argue with you until you was ready to go to bed, and then he'd stand over your pillow telling you, "See, I told you you was wrong." Right. You know, that's just the way he was. Mm-hmm. Karen was like that, almost like an Italian family. Yeah, when we uh, yeah. when we were discussing the screenplay with Jason, there was going to be, at least theoretically, one F-bomb in the film. And um, my wife was, uh, you know, she was a Southern gospel artist. And for many, many years, she toured and recorded mm-hmm. and so forth. <clears throat> so she wasn't having any of that. And she laid it out pretty much, we're not writing any check unless we're assured that there's no F-bombs in the film. And we kind of went round and round because I saw Jason's point. Uh, I got it. But then well, one the, thing is I, I, use, I use that kind of language very sparingly, and I do that for a reason. It's because anytime a writer overuses emphatic language, mm-hmm. devalues the thing they're trying to emphasize. Right. Well, that's one thing I did like about y'all's movie. I mean, there was not, I mean, I've seen some movies, man, and it's like, okay, start the swear word counter now. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, you got 150 something swear words. Yeah, just and it's, gratuitous. It devalued it. Yeah. It's a pet peeve of mine because it's lazy writing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yes. now here's the caveat: when Karen said no f bombs, it was a well placed one during an argument when I couldn't think of a substitute word mm-hmm. that would feel honest that that character would say. Right. And so this is what I presented to Karen, and I think what she told me back was no. <laughs> <laughs> Still figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. How and about we fudge? Can we do fudge? And, I, and you know what's funny is that that scene that we argued for probably an hour about got cut out of the movie anyway. It was not even in the movie. Yeah. So, oh my god, that was kind of pointless. Yeah, but you don't know what's pointless until after the fact. Right. We yeah. thought it was a big moment. We're like, this is because it was a it was a big argument in the film that uh, I spent the most time writing actually that one scene. Mm-hmm. And it seems funny looking back now, saying it's not even in the movie right. at all. Uh, but so, the, the reason it's not in the film uh, had to do with pacing. Right. That's a tricky thing. Our I have fun- no clue. <laughs> What's pacing? Pacing is okay. You know, you know, pacing when you watch something and it starts to get boring. Mm, yeah. That's the moment the pacing's off. Okay. 
And ours was, uh, we were already like an hour and 30 minutes deep into the film when this argument happens. And it's not an argument that's resolved in the final scene. And so we're like, okay, this is a tangent. And even though it's a powerful scene, and the actors actually did a great job on it. It was a very emotional scene. They killed it. Mm-hmm. But it slowed down the pacing too much. And okay. I had a talk with my editor about it. Uh, and I said, Lori, I think we got to cut that scene and the following scene, which also took us a whole day to shoot. And I said, is, is that a stu- stupid idea? And she said, no, I'm surprised because no di- director I've ever worked with has me cut stuff out of the film. They all want to leave everything in. Right. And I said, it's just, it, it slows it down too much for me. I don't like it. Uh, even though it's one of the better acting performances in the in the film. And she said, you know what? I actually agree with you. Let's cut it. Well, see, that's what I was curious about too because I didn't know if you just, you directed the movie, you got everything done, you put it in the can, you send it to the editing. I didn't know exactly what part the director actually had in the editing room. That's a great that's a great question because it's um there's not one answer to it. And on some of the like half of the films I'll cut myself. Okay. I just enjoy doing it. With this one I didn't want to because I didn't because I wrote the script, I directed it, I was too close to it. Right. I thought, okay, well let me let me hand this off. You have more of your heart in it. Yeah, and I didn't think I could be as objective. Okay. Um, so I wanted someone who could be a little bit more ruthless with the material, and if mm-hmm. the scene's not working, it's not working. Um, whereas I might be tempted to keep it because it's my baby. You right. Know? right. It's called integrity. Ah. Yeah. Uh, well, I just want it to be a good movie, and I don't want to sabotage myself by doing that. Mm-hmm. And when a director edits his own work, that doesn't always happen. Right. Because you can always invite people into the edit room and say, what do you think of this? Am I on the right track? But with this one... Being my first feature, I didn't trust myself to to cut it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, Lori, the editor, uh, she had done I think eight features before this, so she was the more experienced person. Yeah, and so I had a track record. Yeah, so I did acquiesce to her on many issues where we didn't see eye to eye, and I just kind of trusted her experience in it. Um, and that's kind of the process. It's like she will. Uh, I didn't see a frame of footage until she had the first pass of the edit done of the whole movie. Okay, so you wasn't even in there with her. She Not, just did it all nope. by herself. Yep. Okay. And the first cut I saw was about two hours and eight minutes long. Okay. And the script is like 90 pages. Usually it's a it's a page a minute. That's how it works out. Okay. So it should have been 90 pages. So the scenes ran a bit long. Um, there were quite a few scenes we ended up taking out just for time. Mm-hmm. That, and that was that was tough. And the reason that was tough is because those scenes helped explain plot holes in the movie. Okay. When we took those out because they made the, the film flow faster, mm-hmm. it created plot holes because those scenes were removed. Okay. And so we had this dilemma like, well, what are we willing to live with? Some minor plot holes or boring moments of the film? You know, and it's already a kind of a slow paced movie anyway. So yeah. I said, well, okay, I'd rather people have questions about the plot here and there. Mm-hmm. then be bored to death and turn it off. Right. So that was the compromise. And there's always a compromise when you make something. Well, that's why I was curious about, because, you know, you see um, several movies that come out uh, well back in the 80s. And then like 10, 15 years later, you see them come back out again. And it's like director's cut. Yeah. And I'm like, why wasn't the director in the room when it was being cut? you know, to begin with. That's, that's a good question. One reason is because uh, with 
with studio films, the director doesn't always get final cut. Okay. Um, and so a lot of times the final cut that's approved by the studio will be different than the vision they had. Well, that's and then that. they, then the director has to live with that, and it sucks, you know, because you you're known as the guy who made that movie, but that isn't the movie you wanted to release. Um, but in the indie world, you wouldn't you have more? Yes, and that's the advantage of it. That's the advantage of doing indie films is you don't have a bunch of studio executives saying, you know, we ran this in front of his test audience, and they they don't like the color of this guy's hat. So it's you know, is <laughs> sometimes it's so arbitrary, um, but. I'm, I mean, that's funny, the hat thing, you know, but that is probably real. They get, they get very pedantic about, uh, how to make your movie, you know? And in the studio system, the advantage of it is they throw money at the project because they want it to succeed, you Mm -hmm. know, and they, you know, you're working with A-list talent and those are the advantages. And the disadvantages are, uh, you're not as free to tell the story you want to tell. And with streets is not a movie that would ever get green light by any studio because it doesn't meet the four quadrant thing. They always talk about Mm -hmm. where you're trying to hit every demographic. Uh, What's that? That takes away from creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That really curtails your creativity. It's it's about a balance supposedly, uh, but the balance is imbalanced because it's usually more toward money than it is creativity. Oh, yeah, the whole financial. Because, yeah, they're running a business. And so, you know, this is the criteria that we have set up, and it's got to fit. And if it doesn't, we make it fit. If it doesn't fit, and the problem is make it fit, you pitch it. That yeah. that creates a homogeny in yeah. in Hollywood where every film kind of feels the same or feels just very familiar. Than, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if you watch 10 Netflix movies that were made in-house by Netflix in a row, mm-hmm. uh, it'll feel like the same movie with different actors. Yeah. Know? And it's, it's just because they have that homogeny now. And with, this is one reason I love indie and I haven't taken, cause there's a different path for a director to direct Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't taken that path because I enjoy the control of it. Right. That, that to me is just, it's the reason you do it. Oh well, yeah. Um, somebody might say, well, you do it for the, a huge paycheck that the, that the studio might give you. Yeah. But I got to have a job. I don't need that. Um, uh, what I, what I, what I want is to tell a story and to tell a story that I don't see all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, we know a guy who made a studio film, got paid, you know, fairly well, but he's not the least bit happy with the outcome of the film because, the, you know, from a creative standpoint, it's not what he was wanting to do. Oh, it's very common. Yeah. It's, it's not him. Yeah, exactly. Not he's his still vision. got his name attached to it. And, you know, you deal with it. I mean, at least you got something to go to the bank with. I mean, that's one consolation. Uh, but if you really care about your art and that's your thing, then it's a disappointment. It's a, it's like selling out, right? Well, mm-hmm. to me, to go make a studio film, we're talking about like months away from my family, you know, and I don't know how to justify that. If in the end, what is the result? It's a, it's a movie that's basically the story is sculpted by a bunch of people wearing suits saying, Yes, this, no, that, you know, whatever, and disregarding the original vision of the the person who who directed it. Well, I mean, they possibly could not even got the vision to begin with. They were just, eh, this might make a monetary gain, you know. Yeah, and it's it's even more uh, prominent in TV production mm-hmm. um, and series, Netflix series, Amazon series, Hulu. They all do these in-house series. 
and a, a director who's working on a TV series might do one or two episodes. Yeah. They just, there's a new director every single time. And so you're walking onto a set with established actors who've been playing these roles sometimes for years. Mm-hmm. The crew's been filming it for years and you're just some dude who shows up. You didn't write it. You look at the script and you say, okay, I'm the director for today. So you have even less control <laughs> in, in TV production. So I th- for me in the indie world is kind of where it's at. If that's your mindset of, I want to do something interesting. Well, that's where I was noticing a lot of people are more going towards the indie stuff. So that's why I wanted to get you guys on here. Cause I, you know, I'm curious. I want to know. Well, also from a creative standpoint, great doing indie work, but because of the technology being what it is today as an indie you know, person, you can do these things. Now oh, yeah. You couldn't do before. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, Jason gets to be creative, dream and build his vision and uh, we can do it in a way that people go, wow, that's a real film, you know, which yeah. is crazy great. That's crazy, though, yeah. that term. That's a real that's film. A real <laughs> film, yeah. It really looks like but a real film. You have to film, understand, dude. like, what a, what a cool, and I don't know if people mean this as a backhanded compliment. Like, I didn't like the story about it. It looks like a movie. But, you know, back in the 90s, uh, when I was growing up, 80s and 90s, indies, the best they could do was to shoot on 16 millimeter film, and it never looked like 35. Mm-hmm. And so you could always tell an indie movie by just watching it. Yeah. You know, um, the, the quality of the acting might be the same, set design, everything, but you just knew oh, yeah. that it wasn't shot on 35 millimeter film. That has completely vanished. Mm-hmm. And the person watching our film, you know, would have no idea it wasn't made by, you know, a studio. Miramax and, or one of them. Or, or if they do find a difference, maybe it's, it's, they would say, like, I don't recognize these actors. Who are these people? Yeah. Um, or the fact that it's a weird movie because you don't see a lot of weird movies being produced by Netflix. Well, back in the back in the sixties and the seventies, it was uh, what I referred to them as, and you remember Thomas? Uh, they were called the B movies. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I couldn't tell you how many horror movies I watched. I mean, Godzilla was actually the first Godzilla was actually a B movie, yeah. you know, and it just it ranked up there, and then they started churning out horror movie after horror movie, mm-hmm. all on these B movie reels. Low production cost, you know. You got one little guy in an outfit trampling across some <laughs> little set, you know, made out of cardboard, and I mean, it was just cool as all get out. And dude, they made money. And part of the aesthetic was that that feel of the sixteen millimeter. You know, mm-hmm. sort of like with uh, with Halloween, Evil Dead, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, oh, yeah. all those movies, they were made really cheap, and yeah. they, but the aesthetic kind of served the story, and so yeah. you could get away with it. And it's kind of like, what does the audience expect when they watch a horror film or a B movie? Mm-hmm. Just give them what they want. Yeah, you know, and so you're not having to with those movies compete with, you know, Indiana Jones or ET or whatever the big movie was when those were coming out. Yeah, but with today's technology, I mean, you're not even the quality of it is right there with the big, the big names, yeah. and you can all do it at home. Have your editing, yeah. do everything yeah. you want to do, and just the barrier to entry is gone in terms mm-hmm. of like, can I make something that's passable as a film? Right. Uh, but the challenge with that is when those barriers come down everybody's doing it. And so it becomes one of these things where to stand out is much easier. Well, the quality of the story. That's it. 
that's it. It's the story. Um, you still have control over over that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just a mastery of the skills of the craft itself that set you apart, which is it's a good place to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rather than, uh, I'd, I'd prefer that be the barrier to entry rather than just gatekeepers based on production quality. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's one thing I did like about streets. I mean, it was just, uh, everything was put together great. You know, I could follow you on the direction, the way you was making, you were taking me through the movie, and that's what I like. You know, if I'm going to sit there and I'm going to eat popcorn and and have a soda and I'm going to watch it, I want to be taken somewhere. I want to, you know, give me some intrigue. Give me something to pull me into it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like back when we were younger and, you know, the big thing was read a book. They taught us all when we were younger, you need to read a book. It's like a story in your mind. But when I can sit and watch a story and it pulls me in also, that's a great feat. Well, another thing that I appreciate about it is the writing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't insult my intelligence. Oh yeah, it's witty. It's it's um, uh, it's well thought out. I mean, yeah. you know, without uh, making Jason's head swell up. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is I thoroughly enjoy and appreciate his oh, yeah. his writing technique because you can you can walk through each scene and hear dialogue that is that is um, intelligible. Yeah. dialogue that that's that's got a, a humorous beats. And yet mm-hmm. serious beats as well in the same scene. And, and it meshes and melds together in a way that uh, is not even remotely contrived. It's very natural. Yeah. You know, but again, you don't walk away feeling like, you know, I just got insulted here. Yeah. Um, well, some of the movies that I've seen, which I really, really appreciated about what you did with streets. Um, <clears throat> I don't know exactly the terminology that they use. But you did not use too much background music, kind of like droning in, trying to get an emotional feel into it. It did it naturally. That's that's good to hear because you don't know those things unless people say them. So I'm glad glad to hear that. I notice everything when when I'm watching music heavy. Yeah, yeah. It was was actually letting the dialogue, the scene set up, and so forth take you through as opposed yeah, you to trying know, to manipulate you through music, which exactly. is still a great thing to have, you know, great music. And I thought I the think, uh, gentleman that did our, our soundtrack and whatnot did a phenomenal job. Yeah. He's a local Nashville uh, composer as well. Cool. But, but yeah. you know, what's interesting. I, th- I think Lori deserves credit there because I'm tempted as a director when a scene is playing slowly for me, mm-hmm. add music yeah. to speed it up. And she would say, just trust it. <laughs> yeah. so you don't have to augment this. Oh, dude, she did a phenomenal job then because, I mean, it was, you know how you're watching some movies and then, okay, here's a little action sequence and there's always, you get that immediate feel of music. Right. And it's like, okay, I you didn't let me savor anything and you're dumping salt on it already. Right. You know? It's almost like the thing with curse words. Anything you overuse, the audience becomes numb to it. Mm-hmm. And those music cues that tell you you're supposed to be sad or excited or something you know, exciting is happening. Yeah. You, you get so accustomed to it that it just drowns out. It might as well not be there. Right. Yeah. Why? Well, it's, uh, over sensorizing. 
Yeah, you get Sounds desensitized. Right. <laughs> Oversensorizing? <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like when all those rom-coms came out, you know, it was like you'd always have a sappy music and, you know, it, it would make you well up. Yeah. It would make you go, oh, man, that is so sad. But take that music away and let it come more natural. Mm-hmm. To me, that, that means more. Yeah, me. the music should always be the icing on the cake. It shouldn't shouldn't be the main yeah. point of the scene. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah, and I'm somebody who loves music, and I love incorporating music into my work. But if the scene doesn't work without the soundtrack, mm-hmm. then your your scene needs you know help. Yeah, I mean just a little bit. I yeah. mean sometimes Hollywood does they they overdo it way too much. Well, yeah. a lot of it's formulaic. Oh yeah, they get a formula. They okay. This way we do it. Bang bang. Well, it's bang. just like in business. It's like creating a mold. It's like yeah. you need this because you know this works. Right. So you just keep doing it. But you do it so much, people are like, oh, yeah. not this again. I mean, there's legitimate yeah. reasoning for it. You know, we get that. There's all kinds of. Well, data. that's why they pay study groups. Yeah, there's data to support everything you're doing. But on the other side of the coin, <laughs> is it really you know, doing exactly what you want to begin with? I don't know. To me, it ain't worth it. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you're. It, if you're adding stuff to just fill in something, mm-hmm. it, it takes away from what you actually created. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, here's a Band-Aid. Here's a Band-Aid. Oh, wait a minute. Let me kiss your boo-boo and get you on going. Yeah. No, give me something that's got some meat and potatoes to it. And I mean, that's one thing about old John Wayne movies, man. I mean, they just, it boom, strike, there you go. It was, it, it was what it was. Right. But it, again, it's like insulting your audience. Yeah. You know, with, with disingenuous uh, maneuvers, if you will. Hey, that's like the word I was looking like for. too stupid to, to get it if you didn't do something to point them in the right direction. It's like, it's like obvious of like the jump scare. It's like yeah. the cat jumps out and they have to do that <sighs> violin shriek or you won't know it's scary. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's funny as hell when the cat jumps. So, I mean, yeah, we do that for fun. That's right. You got a couple of them floating around here. Uh, just one now. Just one? Yeah. One. What happened to the other one? Uh, she had a disease. Oh, okay. Well, and unfortunately. Leave it at that or what? Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. Okay. Right. I get attached too easy. Mm, okay. I didn't know you were a softie that way. I am. Yeah, that's all right. To certain things. Yeah. I don't know. Just why I am. It's all right. That's why we love you, David. That guy with your voice and your tattoos talking about how you love this cat. I love, <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. I need more tattoos. <laughs> if I can get more people to contribute to the there big boy toy fund. Them, yeah. How much you got in there so far? <laughs> it's heavy. It's heavy. It's all pennies. Pennies are heavy, dude. <laughs> pennies are heavy. Yeah. But remember, it if takes it, pennies to make dollars. No, you know what's full of bitcoins. Yeah, That's what yeah. it is. If it was full of it cash, would nice. it wouldn't be that heavy. But you put all that, what are pennies made out of anymore? Still copper and something yeah, else? not copper anymore. Did, uh, maybe just did a you, copper Did coating. your mom ever have a swear jar? No. Yeah, my mom had a swear jar. I think she filled it up. But yeah. it was like every time you said it, like a curse word, you'd have to put money into it. Yeah. And my son was telling me, my son's 14, he's a typical teenager, he was telling me some story about something that happened at school. And uh, he used the word like so many times in this short conversation. I said, I'm going to start a, a swear jar, but for every time you use the word like, you got to put a dollar into it. 
And he and he went on his phone. He's like synonyms for the word like. I'm like that's my kid. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. He's not stupid. Yeah. Google is a great thing, but then Google, uh, it's a scapegoat. Yeah. It'll get you out of trouble. Yeah. Potentially. Google Yay. owns YouTube, which we're on right now. So. We'll, oh yes, uh, yeah. I love Google. Yes, it's great. And YouTube. <laughs> All right, guys, we've done almost three hours of this. So. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to have a part one and a part two. Uh, well, uh, the I lady. You're going to have to split it because nobody's going to sit for three hours. No, I'm I'm uploading the whole thing. Good Lord. Okay. And I'm keeping the bathroom break in, too, because you started Sorry that. Sorry about that. Yeah. I mean to do that to you. <laughs> I need to learn some magic tricks so next time you guys take a potty break, I can dazzle the. Uh, Did you hear him? He was sitting in here going, yeah, and we've got a great setup here. we got three cameras. <laughs> and I was just like. I knew he could handle it. <laughs> Well, I wish there was a camera seeing what we're seeing because we can actually watch ourselves. It's really cool, but you can't see it. Yeah. I've thought about that. Yeah, and turn one of the cameras around so you can see kind of what the setup. It's nice. It's a nice setup. Yeah. Hey, it's fun and and just something I dealt with and I built up to this. Just a, I don't know, inch by inch. Yeah. Anything's a cinch, right? Pretty much. And again, if anybody wants to donate to the uh, these streets we hunt. <laughs> Part yeah. two Part fund, two, yes. contact uh, David or go to uh, streetsofficial.com and go. give us a comment. I'll go to Streets Official. I'll go. I'm going to take a percentage. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a winner. Yep. So, everybody, the want to appreciate our guests. They, I've had a lot of fun. Hope yeah, you guys have. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Again, I hope some people it. learn some stuff. I mean, we got uh, a lot of the technical stuff and how to create and how to do this and how to do that. And you could just do a YouTube thing where how to do this, how to do that. Yeah. You know, I got a quick story years ago. I took a tractor and two trailers set of pups to a school mm -hmm. that my daughter went to. Yeah. So the kids could get up and climb up in the truck and the trailers and so forth. Right. Yeah. They still do that. Okay. All right. After that happened a couple of days later, I got, my daughter brought home a packet of cards that the kids had made. These are young kids, third grade, whatever, fourth grade. Yeah. And they'd colored, you know, on these cards. And a lot of them had, they drew, you know, freehand my truck and the trailers and so forth. And inside the card, you know, thank you, Mr. Marino for yada, yada. You know, yeah. one kid he did a real good job of illustrating the truck and the trailers and stuff. And, he, and inside I can't remember his name, Jacob, I think it comes to mind. He said, dear Mr. Marino, thank you for putting up with us. <laughs> and I thought that was so cute. I'm thinking, yes, these kids are, you know, out of the mouth of babes, right? Oh, yeah. Thank you for putting up with us. Yeah. Yeah, because they all want to honk the horn yeah, and do yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it was great fun. I enjoyed it. I'd do that in a heartbeat. That's if any, a lot of If fun. anybody sat through all three hours of this, I'll send you money. Just <laughs> <laughs> to God. Yeah. Hush, You're damn. a saint. That's all I got to say. Yeah. We will put you on the I survived list. Right, right. We'll get a T-shirt made up for you. <laughs> right. All right, guys. We're going to get out of here. Thomas, Jason, appreciate it. Glad you guys had fun. Yeah, uh, We'll do it again, man. I mean, I love doing this. Yeah. And, Great to uh, be on the David Bradley show. Yeah, well, you know, I'm hoping uh, hoping somebody learned something and uh, had a little bit of fun. And if nothing else, helped you with your workout or your drive or whatever you was doing. Exactly, yep. Amen to that. And remember, we're just having a conversation. Right. 
All right. We'll see y'all later. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye.